Good evening. It's now 6.05 p.m. We will call the December the 4th, 2023 Planning and Zoning Commission meeting to order. First item on the agenda is our invocation, and we will be led by Commissioner Shaw. We would ask that you please stand with us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to gather here to discuss the future plans for Mansfield. Let everybody use their judgment that you provided with them and help them to plan for a better city, better future for everyone here and our kids to, to have a better outcome. In your name I pray, amen. 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 Please join us for the Pledge of Allegiance. Pledge of allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, Indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Texas flag. Honor the Texas flag. I pledge allegiance to thee, Texas, one state, under God, one and indivisible. <coughs> Next item on the agenda is approval of our minutes. And I would ask the commission, we have three uh, meeting minutes. If we could get a motion on those three, all in one, that would be great. Give you an opportunity to review those. I move that we approve all three minutes. I have a motion to approve by Commissioner Shaw. Second. Second by Vikes. Chairman Axon, please cast your votes. Passes 6-0 with one absence. <coughs> we'll now move to item six on the agenda, which is citizen comments. Citizens wishing to address the commission on non-public hearing agenda items and items not on the agenda may do so at this time. Once the business portion of the meeting begins, only comments related to public hearings will be heard. All comments are limited to five minutes. In order to be recognized during the citizen comments or during a public hearing, applicants included must complete a blue appearance card located at the entry to the chambers and presented to the planning secretary. Secretary, do we have any citizen comment cards? No comment cards for tonight. We'll move on to item number seven, which is public hearings. First item on the agenda will be item number 27, 23-5757. Public hearing to consider adoption of the future land use plan entitled the Mansfield 2040 plan and establishing a future land use plan and recommending land use policies and practices. Mr. Alexander. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Good evening, Planning and Zoning Commission. The item before you is the Mansfield 2040 plan. I know that there is a lot on the agenda tonight, so I will go through this as quickly as possible, but there are some elements of this that I do wanna take my time on for the sake of emphasis. This is Mansfield in 1948, and there you can see Main Street, and you can even see in the photograph on the screen, a lot of the buildings that were there then, today. And Mansfield today, 2023. And the importance of these two images is showing that how things change 
so should your plans and your policies. And one of those being the Mansfield 2040 plan, the last future land use plan that the city adopted was in 2012, the official land use plan. And the purpose of this plan, pursuant to the provisions in chapter 211 and 212 of the Texas Local Government Code, is to help support zoning. Right now, we do have a zoning ordinance in place that was first adopted in 1984. It builds on the zoning ordinance that was first adopted for the city of Mansfield back in 1957. Chapter 213 of the Texas Local Government Code that allows municipalities to have plans that encourage growth. And the future land use plan, which is the Mansfield 2040 plan, is a document that guides land use planning consistent with those provisions in chapters 211, 212, and 213. But the most important part about the plan that is in front of you tonight for review, consideration of possible action is that it is a living document and it is intended to be flexible, adaptable, and inform our future regulations, primarily zoning. So starting first with the journey and how we got to where we are, it did begin in November of 2022 and the apex of that journey started with bringing on Freeze and Nichols. We do have them here with us tonight on December, I believe it was the 12th of 2022. And from their guidance direction experience, a citizen planning steering committee was created by the city council. The imperative, the direction from city council was to dream big with this plan. The imperative as well from City Council was to make sure that the plan focused on sustainable land use and understand the economics or the fiscal impacts behind good land use planning. From there it involved touring Norton Commons in Prospect, Kentucky, and from that there were a lot of individuals who attended that came back with a different understanding of land use and development. So some of the members on the Citizen Planning Steering Committee, there's one right there that is actually on the commission, Commissioner Moses. And from the Citizen Steering Committee, there was a mission statement that came out, and that was to deliver an adaptive plan that embodies sustainable land use practices and results in a community that is highly regarded for its quality of life, protection of the built and natural environment, and an inclusive future for all. And that stemmed from this. So here is an image that you have seen on multiple occasions. And it is a detached single family home in Norton Commons in Prospect, Kentucky. And the reason why this image is so powerful is that it shows a well-crafted, a well-constructed home on a lot size that's typically smaller than that as permitted by most of our current zoning designations. The house that you see here in this image is also important because it shows that you can have variety in architecture while still maintaining smaller lot sizes for detached single family dwellings. 
What's also important about those first two images is that they're within walking distance of townhomes or what we call row houses pursuant to the D Downtown District or the S South, the Mansfield Foreign-Based Development District. And that is part of some of the applications that will come before you this evening, which again is in walking distance of manor homes. We saw two manor homes that were recently constructed in downtown Mansfield, and this is an image you will probably see again tonight, but took their inspiration from Norton Commons. And that there are shopping, dining, and other employment opportunities within walking distance of those types of residential units. And then finally coming to vertical mixed use where there are opportunities for ground floor retail with multifamily residential above. And if you kind of think about all of these images, they do reflect the rural to urban transect that has come before you all as well in a number of projects. And that results in a complete neighborhood, as you can see here, where there are a variety of dwelling types within walking distance of ground floor retail, ground floor dining options, and other commercial activities that make neighborhoods vibrant. And in the background there towards the top of the screen, that is where you see the interstate highway. But noticing how the development is designed, that, that really becomes obsolete. So in terms of reflections from those tours, it's that development patterns that are mixed use are fiscally sustainable. And it also means that not all mixed use has to be vertical and not all mixed use has to consist of multifamily with ground floor retail, but it can occur in a variety of ways. Our development patterns, they have to serve multiple generations. Our development and infrastructure must be coordinated in a way that allows for us to be fiscally sustainable, which improves our competitive advantages within a booming North Texas region and beyond. Furthermore, we have to have elevated standards for urban design, not just to create identity, but also to create a strong sense of place. And what we also learned is that land use is inherently connected to other professional disciplines, such as cultural arts. And the image here, an example of a mural parks and recreation, creating civic space that allows multiple generations to gather and socialize. Economic development, creating environments where gleaming skyscrapers can support corporate office and other opportunities. And in terms of the actual plan, it is important to note that it is an integral part of the comprehensive plan. So in those previous images showing how this is part of one of numerous plans that will guide all of our actions and activities as a community and an organization. The plan also reflects the principles of True North, and I'll get into that in a moment. And the Mansfield 2040 plan mission statement and guiding principles, they work collectively to guide the land use plans, policies, and recommendations for the entire community. So as the Department of Planning and Development Services comes before this body and before City Council in the future, the staff reports, they will be different and they will reflect what is coming out of the Mansfield 2040 plan. So again, there's a mission statement for the 2040 plan. And in response to True North, which 
is together as one, remarkable experiences, organizational excellence, noteworthy essentials, and healthy economy that all create that north. That is reflected in those five principles to the left side of the screen. Making sure that our land use practices are sustainable, that we're providing an elevated quality of life, not just for residents, but the employers that make up our tax space. Protecting the built environment, meaning that we're designing, we're developing in a way that leverages green space and open space. That goes hand in hand with the protection of the natural environment. And then those four combined ensure that we're providing an inclusive future for all. So meaning that we're creating opportunities for those who are young of age and those who are matured in age. That's what creates a dynamic, a livable, and a prosperous community. That then leads to these land use categories, and there are nine. If you recall, under the official 2012 plan, there aren't necessarily any land use categories, just sub areas. Here we have estate residential all the way to commercial and light industrial, meaning that there are specific policies for land uses within those various categories. And there are also some urban design standards that help when we start to think about development proposals and projects that come before you for review, action, and possible recommendation. Here's a state residential, an example of it. And here's mixed use local. And then in terms of those land use categories, there are nine different attributes that are part of it. And those attributes, they really are uh, based off of what we know today as single family, multifamily, regional, commercial, agricultural, but they go into a little bit more detail to make sure that we're getting the right type of multifamily and the right type of single family. And then using that as a way to describe or achieve the actual vision and goals of that specific land use category. And here's an example of land use appropriateness so here, a larger development, Avalon in Alpharetta, Georgia, where there are detached single-family homes. There's a muse that runs down the middle of the project. And then there are shopping and other entertainment opportunities that are further to the east or the middle of this photograph. And this represents a good image of what those different land use categories and land use appropriateness attempt to achieve. So that all leads to the actual future land use map that you see in front of you. And it also leads to five special area plans, the downtown district, entertainment district, the link, Western Promise, and the ETJ. And here are those five special area plans, downtown, the entertainment district along Toll Road 360, the link, which is to be a hybrid high-tech research technology area that also offers opportunities for structured and unstructured recreation, as well as shopping. The Western Promise, which came to you about a year and a half ago and started with Starlin Ranch. And you see Starlin Ranch there in the center and it is proposed as mixed-use local, and that is intended to be the heartbeat of the Western Promise. There is another item that will come before you this evening, 
that will build upon that heartbeat and create other heartbeats in this area that starts to realize the vast economic promise and potential of this area. And then with respect to the ETJ, while there's very little that we can do there from regulations and from other rules and requirements, there is a lot that we can do with partnering with property owners and developers that want to annex into the city and working with them on development plans that draw from the existing development patterns in the area, architectural heritage, and create some outstanding examples of not just collaboration, but development that is appropriate for the ETJ. And of course, there was rather robust public participation, as you can see here with the second open house. And here with the Mansfield Youth Council. So again, showing that dichotomy of a wide variety of perspectives and viewpoints. And of course, incorporating some other schools of thought and principles that help make our future land use plan, the Mansfield 2040 plan, a dynamic, adaptable, and flexible plan. So in sum, this plan does capture and it does articulate a multi-generational vision. There are multiple open houses and stakeholder discussions, including multiple revisions, to ensure that we have the best plan for Mansfield moving forward. It does provide a plethora of land use policies, plans, and goals. Again, it is an adaptable and livable document that can be edited and that can grow as our community grows. And most importantly, it provides increased guidance on how we make recommendations and decisions on land use, ensuring that Mansfield is as competitive as it can be with respect to economic development, as attractive as it can be with respect to its physical development, and then has those strong social ties that make Mansfield a connected and a livable community. And with that, the Department of Planning and Development Services recommends approval of the Mansfield 2040 plan as presented. I do have Freeze and Nichols here with me, and we are happy to answer any questions that the Planning and Zoning Commission may have on this item. Thank you so much, Mr. Alexander. Commissioners, any questions for Mr. Alexander? No? Okay. All right. Would Freeze and Nichols like to come up now? Um, Daniel Harrison and Connor Roberts. Please state your name and your address for the record, please, sir. Uh, Daniel Harrison with uh, Freeze Nichols, uh, 2711 North Haskell Avenue. Um, and we're just here for any questions that you may have. Uh, we, uh, with me is Connor Roberts as well. And so uh, we're happy to uh, be here tonight and to be able to answer those questions. Thank you. Okay, great. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. We will now open up the public hearing at 6.24 p.m. I believe we have no additional cards for this particular item. So we will close the public hearing at 6.24 p.m. And I'll turn it over to Commissioner Comments and Questions. Vice Chairman Axon. Yeah, I'll, I'll start tonight. Um, no questions for me, but uh, I, I want to just uh, give a word of thanks and appreciation to the city staff, um, to the Citizen Steering Committee that's been involved with this from the get-go. Uh, Freeze and Nichols and their staff. Um, it's been a lot of fruitful conversations. Um, 
Uh, I've enjoyed getting outside of the Mansfield bubble and, and seeing what other places have done, um, whether it's uh, Norton Commons or, or Alpharetta, Georgia, or Serenby, or, or you know the, the ballpark there for where the Atlanta Braves uh, play. All of that's been good to see what can be done. And, um, and the, the city council and, and everyone up here, you know, we set that true north vision before we really kicked this off. Um, that was a vital step. Um, and in an area that's probably gonna be the largest metro area by 2100, um, I think it's, this is our moment to make the city of Mansfield stand out with 10, 12 million people that'll be living in this area in the not too distant future. Um, and this plan hits all the buttons that we've been wanting. Um, it serves generations with uh, the way the land use is being proposed. It brings that elevated standards that we've been wanting here. Um, it is a sustainable plan and it truly embodies the, the, the statement of living, working and playing right here in the city of Mansfield. So I just kind of want to commend everybody for their participation, for the hours that have been put in on this. And um, I look forward to seeing this plan get adopted and, and move forward and bring this vision alive here in the city. So thank you. Thank you, Vice Chairman Axon. Any other comments, questions from the commissioners? Yes, Chair, uh, I want to just echo what our former chair, current vice chair, and steering committee uh, co-collaborator in this effort just said. And, and also uh, salute our outstanding staff for the extraordinary work that they did in this, along with our wonderful consultants. Uh, th this is indeed an adaptable, sustainable plan in the future, and will indeed take Mansfield to greater heights. This is not the Mansfield I moved to in 2002. So thanks very much. Thank you, Commissioner Moses. No other comments? I had the opportunity and the pleasure to be a part of the tour in Kentucky at Norton Commons. And I will tell you, the minute we got off the bus and started walking around, it, it just felt like home. It felt like a um, community that I'd never seen or been a part of before. And I applaud our staff for having the forethought and the uh, attention to detail to go out and select these communities to give us an opportunity to not only, you know, have discussions about where we're trying to go, but actually be able to go out and see it. You don't get the opportunity to do that every day, and I certainly want to thank our city staff for that. Freeza Nichols has done an outstanding job. This has been a process to just not just go for two or three months. This has been going on for quite some time. The uh, Citizen Steering Committee has been very faithful in their due diligence around this project as well. And I'm just excited that as a city, we have a plan as to where we're moving forward to when we get to that 2100. Now, I know I won't be around, but, but those who will be here, I think we're going to have and build what's going to be a great city. And, and, and let me applaud Mr. Je Mr. Alexander because, you know, for him to stand up tonight after being a University of Georgia fan and and, and, and be able to give that presentation. We, we just really applaud you tonight, sir. Thank you so much for what you do here in the city of Mansfield. And if there are no other comments or questions, uh, I'd like to call for a motion. Mr. Chair, I'd like to make a motion uh, that we adopt the future land use plan 
that's been brought forth to us tonight, the Mansfield 2040 Future Land Use Plan. We have a motion by Vice Chairman Axon. Second. Second by Chairman Moses. We are now ready to vote. That agenda item passes 6-0 with one absenteeism. Next item on the agenda is 23-5658, public hearing on a change of zoning from PR Pre-Development District to S South Mansfield Form-Based Development District on approximately 26.897 acres, generally located at the northeast corner of Heritage Parkway South and Britton Road on property addressed at 3801 Brent Road, the City of Mansfield, applicant zoning change number, zoning case number 23-020. Mr. Alexander. Thank you, Mr. Chair. This is a request to rezone property from the PR Pre-Development District NC2 Community Business District to the S South Mansfield Form-Based Development District, or SOMA, as we affectionately call it. Here is a map that shows the subject property. I do want to pause here for a moment and talk about the requested zoning on this property. If we go back a few moments earlier and think about the Mansfield 2040 plan, it taught us to kind of look at land use in a different light and to see it as part of the urban context or the urban fabric. And while one of the primary uses on this property is a data center, how that data center is constructed on the site and how the site is designed, it can all be coordinated in a way that starts to realize a tremendous amount of development and redevelopment on Bridgeton Road between the stadium property, as we call it, to the west of this property, and then the historic town of Britain that was annexed into Mansfield. So there is a ton of potential that is here with this particular project, and it's not a way to circumvent standards. Rather, it is a way to elevate standards for site design and for construction of the facility, and that's certainly what SOMA does. Here is an aerial showing the property, again fronting Britton Road and then backing up to the railroad to the north. And here is a photograph of the site just showing its current condition. And I believe this is the seventh or eighth zoning case that has come before the Planning and Zoning Commission dealing with SOMA. So I won't go through the first few bullet points, but I do want to hone in on that last bullet point there about a data center. So while we are this evening contemplating land use, we have to understand that with land use, there's also an economic component to that as well. While the appropriateness of a use can't be solely dependent on its economics or economic development, it is critical that we understand that and that we understand its relationship to future development patterns. And what staff is recommending uh, tonight is approval, and I get to that slide there in a moment, but it's recommending approval because of the fact that there is a strong belief that this use can be successfully and purposefully integrated into the urban fabric and designed in a way that not only elevates economic interests in the area, but also visual and cultural. 
And here is the proposed site plan. Of course, this is SOMA, so a site plan isn't really required at this stage, but a concept plan would be required at the development agreement stage. And while there are some elements here that we're still working on the applicant with, because of the fact that there is a request to rezone this property to SOMA, that opens up the doors for greater collaboration and dialogue on ultimately how this project will unfold. And if you as a commission really consider and think about it, that really is the essence of SOMA, is dialogue, collaboration, and partnership. Because of the fact that the request is for SOMA, uh, any property that is greater than two acres in the area does require a development agreement. It also requires a special land assemblage plan. The development agreement would consist of a concept plan and a phasing plan, and that's to ensure the property is developed in accordance with city council's vision. And then a special land assemblage plan reinforces those provisions from the development agreement and it also informs and provides the standards needed for platting. So with that, the request to rezone the property is consistent with the vision and direction for development and investment within the area. It's also important to note that the various provisions of the Yes South Mansfield Foreign Based Development District will entertain and support elevated placemaking for this project amongst other items. And Department of Planning and Development Services does recommend approval. I will pause there, Mr. Chair, as the applicant is here, and I believe that they have a presentation as well, and that we will both be available for questions from the Planning and Zoning Commission. Mr. Chair. Thank you, Mr. Alexander. The applicant would please come at this time. Thank you, sir. You please state your name and your address for the record. David Robinson with Align Data Centers at 2800 Summit Avenue in Plano, Texas. So Align Data Centers is a Plano, Texas-based company. This is uh, very high-tech for me, so uh, we'll introduce the, the, the company. Um, first, thanks for your time this evening. Thanks to the city staff. It's been a tremendous experience this evening watching the 2040 plan. I'm thrilled to be here and to be part of that discussion. Because any plan, really, you want to have mixed use. And data centers are an ideal use for your planning. Um, data centers today are really part of the fabric of humanity. Um, as it relates to Align Data Centers itself, we were founded in 2013. And we were really founded as a differentiated technology company. So data centers historically were just these big boxes and you put servers in there. And that's what powers your phone and your Netflix and everything that you do today, your, your car, your GPS, it all goes back to a data center. And many of those data centers um, weren't energy efficient. So when we were founded, it was really on a sustainability play. It was recognizing that data centers could be more sustainable. And we have differentiated technology that actually reduces the amount of power required to cool a data center by up to 80%. We also dramatically slashed the amount of water required to cool a data center. This actually is going to be a waterless solution. It's just going to be convenience water. It's not going to be the large-scale gallons per day that are typically required for data centers. So I think our water requirement is going to be less than 10,000 gallons per day, probably less than 5,000 gallons per day, if I'm not mistaken. The other thing that we did with our data centers 
we, we broke it down into a modular solution to build it out. And what that means is a lot of times when you would build a data center, and, and just to put this in perspective, it's not an industrial use, but more times than not, people think of it as industrial. We don't have a lot of trucks. There's not a lot of distribution. There's not a lot of employees, frankly, um, as it relates to the, to the benefit that, that will come to the community. But what we did was we recognized that you've got a time when you deploy the capital, the infrastructure, for when it's actually used by the customers that move into the data center. So that was also a huge change in kind of data center deployment. So we were ahead of the game when it comes to efficiency, uh, modular designs, and sustainability. Our footprint right now is across the Americas. Um, we were based in Texas since our founding. Um, we've also got data centers in Arizona and Utah and Oregon and Illinois and Ohio and uh, Virginia and Georgia. And, and we've also got some in South America now as well and also up north of the border in, in Canada. Um, as it relates to our sustainability, I mentioned our efficient cooling technology. That's patented, by the way. Uh, those were some foundational patents that were granted uh, many years ago. I mentioned our water stewardship, our reduced power consumption. If you think of a data center, and many people don't know what a data center is, but it's a very secure facility that people put computer servers into that run everything that we're doing electronically, um, and those servers create heat. So what a data center provider does it has to provide reliable cooling, reliable power, and security. So it's kind of like technology real estate is, is really what a data center is all about. Um, some of the other things that we've done, are, our facilities are now Green Globes compliant. We're committed to be uh, 2040 net zero. Um, we're also the first data center that did any sustainability-linked financing in North America. We were the first with our debt facility as well. Um, and we've also introduced new carbon tracking technology as well. So that's really part of our DNA is our sustainability uh, solutions. Um, moving on to the community benefits for you. Data centers are massive investments hundreds of millions of dollars of capital investment. Our customers put in an equal amount in the electronics that go into those data centers. So what that means for you is significant revenue through property taxes, leasing, et cetera. But with that, you don't have the burden that typically comes with a large investment. We're not a burden on your police and fire. These are very secure facilities. We're not a burden on your schools. Our number of employees, it's not filling you know, your school and, and you're gonna have to build another school and another school. And the amount of traffic that we create also is pretty limited. Once the building's built and those servers are installed, you're gonna see very limited uh, increased traffic on your, on your roads as well. Um, job opportunities, when you talk about uh, the 2040 plan, you want a diverse mix of tech and other type of jobs, and data centers do bring those tech jobs. While our facility may not have that many direct jobs, there's a ripple effect. 
that once you get a data center, there's ancillary jobs that are also created. Sometimes it's been estimated to be 5.6 up to as many as 10 additional jobs for each one data center job. And those jobs are low voltage cabling, um, server type maintenance with IT professionals. You've got the ancillary jobs for hospitality and restaurants and other things like that for people who come to the data center as well. So while the number of jobs directly created may not be that many, there's ancillary jobs as well. Community services, um, a lot of times when you build a data center, there's a lot of infrastructure that is brought to serve that data center. So um, requires a lot of power. We've got the substation right next door, so this is not a site that you're gonna be developing uh, those townhouses or single family homes. Um, we love being right next door to the, to the substation. And what it means for your community is we work with the utility provider and they basically do an analysis called a load, load impact study. And it looks at different things in the grid that have to be supported or uh, improved. And we pay for that, by the way. But with that, it delivers a more robust grid reliability uh, story for your area as well. Additionally, network has to be brought into the area. All of those servers have to be connected to something. People talk about the cloud. The cloud is just a data center, and it's just row upon row of uh, electronics and servers and compute and things like that. So it, it's gonna be a more networked environment if you start having data centers in your community as well. And then we've also talked about the uh, technological advancement and there's uh, educational opportunities too that, that may be forthcoming. We've done this in other communities where there may be internship opportunities that are created. Uh, data centers do really power humanity right now and uh, those data centers have to be served by critical facilities techs and others. So there are opportunities for education. A lot of people don't even realize how much the data center industry is growing and the opportunities for, uh, for education and, and uh, 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 job opportunities there as well. Um, that I think is the presentation we had. There's a lot of additional information that we provided. Um, but with that, we'll just leave it to you for any questions and thank you for your time and excited to be part of your community. Thank you, Mr. Robertson. Thank you. I believe you have a couple of others with you. Cordell Andrews, are you speaking tonight as well? I'm here just to answer questions. Okay. Tristan Morgan, same, here to answer questions. And Tommy Mann, I believe, is here for questions as well. Okay, great. Thank you all so much. Thank you. We'll call you back up if there's any other questions from the commissioners. Okay, at this time, we would like to open the public hearing at 6.43 p.m. And we do have cards for this particular agenda item. So as I call your name, if you would come up to the podium and if you would give us your name and your address for the record, that would be great. Catherine Hogan. Good evening, my name is Katherine Hogan, <clears throat> and I live at 701 T-Box Court. Uh, continue? Yes. Okay. Um, I am against a data center, as stated at a previous meeting, 
Um, the reason that I'm against this is because of the noise concerns, the size and aesthetics, um, as well as the construction and ongoing construction. Um, recently, my neighbor and I actually drove to Plano to see um, the other aligned data center that they have there. Um, while we were there with our toddlers in the back, <laughs> Um, we observed a noise from many different angles. I also recorded this on my phone, um, and when we listened, we could hear that noise, and it was somewhat loud. Um, and that noise was just continuous. Um, I did this from the sidewalk across the street. Um, we also noticed the massive size of this data center, which there are houses that would be very, very close um, to this data center. Um, it would be a huge building, like I said, located near houses. Uh, we also noticed that the data center in Plano is located in a more industrial area. Um, there were no houses right next to this data center. Um, the look alone looks industrial. Um, which would make that area seem more industrial and less of what the 2040 plan wants the surrounding area to be. Um, it's, just not the, it's not just the audible sound of the noise, but also the wavelength emitted. My husband and I did some research, and even if the audible sound is resolved, the low frequency sound produced by data centers can have negative, effect, negative effects on cardiovascular and mental health. I'm not against data centers alone. I understand the need for them. I'm against data centers in residential neighborhoods. Um, the former plans showed multiple data center buildings. This would create construction that would last a while and add additional noise. Um, we want to think about the future look of this area. The 2040 plans show uh, many ideas, including housing near an entertainment center that would be walkable. These huge data center buildings would not be enticing for many more people to want to live somewhat nearby or nearby. Um, it would make that area less appealing and hurt that 2040 vision for the area. Um, yes, there is a substation located nearby, but uh, there's also houses located near there. So I don't think that would put off more offers for that land, as stated by that um, aligned representative. Uh, speaking of education opportunities, I don't think this would be a great educational opportunity, especially for the elementary school located uh, less than half a mile nearby. Like I had said about those low frequency wavelengths, these teachers and students would be su subjected to them. Um, and yeah, that would not be great. So that's all I have. Thank you so much. Um, Louisa Meyer. Non-speaker in opposition. And I also have Tierna Davis, non-speaker in opposition as well. I believe those are all the cards we have for the public hearing. We will close the public hearing at 6.48 p.m. And I will open it up for commissioner comments and questions. I guess I'll start here. Um, Mr. Alexander, a question for you, sir, please. Do you have info to provide us with in regards to the proximity of the building itself to the residential? 
No, sir, not at this moment, but I'm sure we will be able to get that, and we can certainly get that information and share it. Okay, great. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. All right. And then for the applicant, uh, Mr. Robinson, just a few questions, sir. In your presentation, you stated that the convenience center uses less than five gallons of water per day. Uh, 5,000 5, gallons of water per day. What would be typical if it was a normal running facility that did not have hundreds the ability to use of, that? Yeah, hundreds of thousands of gallons of water per day. Hundreds of thousands of gallons yes. of water per there day. There are some that are north of a million gallons of water per day. So our facility is orders of magnitude less water. Okay. And then you also mentioned that uh, there would be limited number of trucks daily. What, what's, what's, what does that look like? It really depends. Um, what, once the building is built and the tenants move in, and when they move in, they've got to roll all of their equipment into the facility. Mm -hmm. I don't know when it's going to reach that point, but once it does, those servers will just sit there, usually for three to five years is kind of the refresh cycle, but new tenants will take available space, um, but it's certainly not going to be an Amazon or a Walmart kind of distribution facility with multiple trucks per hour, let alone per So day. there's nothing that would be taking place on a daily basis that would create a need for multiple we, trucks throughout the day? No, we do have traffic counts. So I welcome Cardell and Tristan to come up. So... Cardell Andrews, Align Data Centers. Uh, 2800 West Summit Avenue. Yes, sir. We are about 3,500 gallons per day is the water use for our facility. Um, trip counts. I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't hear you exactly. Could you repeat 30, that? 3,500 gallons a day. Oh, on the water. For the okay. water use. Okay, yep. for the water. Okay. For traffic, we're about 75 trips per day. That's cars and trucks. So okay. very limited for this use. Truck traffic. You probably see mostly it's going to be, as Dave mentioned, once once everything's up and going, mm -hmm. you don't see a lot of truck traffic in the in the area. It's really just personal vehicles. Um, for a data center this size, it's about 50 employees. Okay. So very limited on traffic, not much traffic at all. Trucks that you'll usually see is like UPS trucks or something like that, just box trucks to bring deliveries, deliveries in. Yeah. Okay. All right. But server-wise, for larger, like 18-wheeler trucks, um, you may see in the three-year period one or two. It's, it's really low for, for a data center. Okay. And is this a 24-hour operation? or It is 24, 24 hours. 24 hours. Okay. Yes. So they're staffing 24-7? They're staffing 24-7. Okay. Great. All right. Okay. Thank and you very I, much. And I will say for the, the existing building that was mentioned earlier is one of our legacy projects. So that building does not look like any of the newer projects that we do. So just if you're looking at the old Plano building, it has... It's an older building that we bought and we kind of renovated so it has no use and look like the newer buildings that we do. So. Okay. All right. Thank you. Commissioners, questions for the staff or the applicant? Yes, sir. Uh, Commissioner I Moses? don't know Mr. Robinson, Mr. Cornell, or Mr. Alexander or someone. Uh, can someone, I, I just heard the building in Plano is older, but can someone speak to the noise issue and the psychological consequences and mental health and all of those type things for me? I don't know that any of us can speak to mental health, um, but... I, I mean, you know, the psychological consequences sure. that we heard earlier. What, what right. I'll say is um, the 
Plano data center, the initial data center was built in, we bought it in 2015 and we renovated an existing building. The amount of innovation that the data center industry has seen just in five years, let alone eight years, is pretty remarkable. Um, we're currently building yet another data center on the balance of the property that we've got in Plano, and that's gonna be a generation or two better. Um, we comply with all noise restrictions, um, so that's, that's not gonna be an issue. Um, as far as mental health and cardiovascular, um, I, I can't speak to that. That's not been something that I've heard, frankly, around the country. Um, in Virginia, I, was it in Virginia? I think there was an allegation with some of the legacy data centers there, um, but it's nothing that we've experienced. Um, another thing that I would note regarding the aesthetics, we're working closely with city staff on those aesthetics. These facilities are impeccably maintained, um, well lit. Uh, we think they're pleasing. If we had some renderings, we could share the renderings of how they look. But we are look, working with city staff so that it doesn't look like a, you know, cinder block brick house. So is there any empirical evidence around the country to suggest that there's no noise impact to the neighborhoods? Definitely with legacy data centers. Yeah, that, that is not, we've heard and seen instance of those with older facilities. This will not be an older facility. I have a follow-up question for that is, of your current count, what is the split between legacy and new builds? And what's your most recent new build and your uh, legacy counts? Um, legacy would be 2015 and 2017. New builds were building dramatically around the country. Um, Tristan, I'll defer to you on some of that. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't know the counts off the top of my head, but we probably have four very legacy buildings in the portfolio, and they were all converted buildings that we bought existing structures and, and converted them to data centers. Um, I would just want to add on the noise piece that we do conduct, and we have already employed a consultant called Trinity Consultants to do a noise engineering study for us. So they go out, they take ambient readings around the data center. We then do studies to look at how our equipment is going to affect those, those points in the, in the study. And then we work out what we need to do to prevent uh, additional and over-the-top uh, noise increases to the local community. So what Dave didn't mention is we, we own and operate these buildings, so we don't develop them, then sell them. So we're always going to be operating the facilities. So we like to go above and beyond with things like noise uh, protection to make sure we're not fielding complaints for the next five years. So we can share that study with you. It's, it's a pretty interesting read, and we can walk you through how we're going to avoid... Uh, some significant noise increases. Um, so question on um, the, the places that you have employees at every day. You, you are all meeting OSHA compliance for um, environmental safety for noise environment uh, for people that are working there eight, ten hours a day? Yeah. Okay. And there's never been any issues or anything like that that's been brought up or concerns or health concerns with employees that are working in those centers? There, there's been no concern. Usually with data centers, the OSHA issues working in the facility is the heat from a contained hot aisle. But there's been, I don't know of a single noise 
uh, complaint or issue for any employees on OSHA, um, either for the and heat. They're or not required to wear any special hearing protection or anything like that while they're in the building. Um, our buildings are very quiet, actually. Uh, do you know of any mandated? None. Okay, okay I'll defer to you guys. <laughs> Just stand here. Uh, the technicians will sometimes wear ear protection in the server rooms just because they're in there for long periods of the day, but outside the server rooms, not that I'm aware of. And th those server rooms, I should note, are not our facility. In other words, we rent that space, and it's the customers who populate the server rooms and have control over those server rooms. That, that's the whirring of the, uh, the fans and everything. Thank you. Sure. What would be the percentage of centers that you have currently right now um, in residential areas versus industrial? Um, when you count proximity to residential, as opposed to in a residential area, um, we, we definitely have them in, I'd have to do the count, but there are houses in close proximity to one that we've got in Arizona. Um, in close proximity. I don't know what the distance is, and Mr. Alexander is going to give us that, that distance. Let's just say a mile. Within a mile. Do you guys know? Salt Lake, Salt Lake City. Oh, yeah. Phoenix, Salt Lake City. Um, so there are, there are a PDX, couple. Uh, Portland. Yep. Probably 50%, so, I would say. But I'd have to go and look. Well, okay. Like 30%. 40, 50, 5. I wouldn't go to 50. It, this isn't a bidding. Uh, <laughs> there, there are some. Okay. There are some, yes. But primarily, they're, what I, you have done historically has been more in industrial parts of towns and cities? I, would, I wouldn't say that. Um, Again, uh, in, in Virginia, there's residences that are not that far away in Phoenix or Chandler, there's residences that are not that far away. Okay. Um, Would those and, and be elsewhere. centers that you all bought the building and then renovated it to turn it into a center, or would those be centers no, that you actually purchased land and then built the building? All, also include where we purchased land and built the building. Okay. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Sure. I think you gentlemen see that it's obviously a, a concern about noise in regards mm -hmm. to this. Mr. Alexander, could you speak to what's allowable and acceptable in the city of Mansfield in regards to this? In terms of the noise yes. ordinance? So I would fall under the nuisance ordinance if there were noises that were above a certain decibel. But I think, too, what the gentlemen are saying this evening, that they will be working with the city to make sure that they're mitigating that as best as possible and that they fall within the confines of the nuisance ordinance with respect to decibels. I'm glad to hear you say that because I know that the city staff will work very closely with the applicant in regards to that. And there was a concern brought up as well about, you know, the aesthetics of the building and what that looks like. You all are going to be working with the applicant as well to make sure that it's it's something that we can accept in the city of Mansfield as well. Yes, sir. So I want our residents to know that this is not just a case of once it's approved, the building goes up and hopefully it does what they're supposed to do. But city staff is going to be making sure that this is done the proper way. 
Absolutely, and if I may, Mr. Chair, and Planning and Zoning Commissioners, I think it's also important to note that the building is just simply a part of the public realm, and by that meaning that it's an element. So that plus the landscaping and the streetscape, that's what creates an entire public realm, and that's what we're wanting to work very closely with these gentlemen on to make sure that there is a lively, there is a walkable experience from Britain to the stadium property, the entertainment district, but knowing that the building is going to sit back a ways, that's why we want to focus on some other elements that will help create that walkable pedestrian experience that Jeff Speck has talked about so many times. Perfect. Thank you, sir. Vice Chairman Axe. Yeah, I'm going to go back to the noise stuff for a few minutes. I have a few questions to ask about this. Uh, you said you guys were going to do a noise study or have done noise studies before, so I'm, I'm assuming some industry organization has maybe a standard range that the that you're evaluating against. Can could you give me a little bit of information on that? I would say it varies from you know county to county, region to region. A lot of a lot of planning departments will have set decibel ratings you need to fall within. So when we're commissioning these noise studies, we're either looking to fall within those existing DB uh, ratings, or we will look around surrounding cities and counties and see what they are using. And we'll use those as benchmarks to make sure we're sort of fitting in with what the, the local communities are doing. Do you have, uh, I guess, requirements in Plano for your facility there? I actually can't remember the top of my head. Yeah. I can't in, in Plano, we actually do have uh, decibels that we have to meet based on that and we have a noise study that falls within that and I would say the Plano site pretty easily hit that based on it and it's just because of the technology now that we have from the newer projects not the legacy projects that actually has those noise attenuation items that kind of mitigate the sound what do you know the entity that set that requirement was it the city was city it of the, Plano it was the that city. is the city of Plano okay yeah um that's good to know um what is the noise maker? What was what, that? What makes the most noise at the facility? There's a combination. There's, um, we have generators in the back that okay. make noise, but those are only for um, emergency situations only. So the generators aren't running constantly. The generators are there if power goes out, the generators turn on and it's an emergency case. Usually if that's the case, I mean, noise is probably everywhere because there's construction going on to kind of mitigate the electricity going out. The other item is the chillers on the roof. Those make a little bit of noise also, mm -hmm. but we also mitigate those to, to make sure that there's no sound from coming from those or mitigate the sound as much as possible. Okay. Um, next question. There's a substation pretty close to this. Yeah. If I were to go out there and, because I know that thing's emitting noise, should be, is it fair to say that the noise level that your building will emit will be less than the noise that's coming from that substation? So, so you, have equal? Two, you have two things, you have a substation and you have a railroad. Oh yeah, let's, let's, go, with the more, <laughs> let's go with the more constant yeah. one, okay? So, so yeah. I will tell you that the, the noise study that we do, it does do a sound attenuation based on the ambient noise without anything there. And then we provide that based on when you have the data center and you have the chillers on the roof all running at the same time and the generators. So it's looking at both, it's gonna give you a variance. I don't know if I could particularly say if it's going to be louder or not, but our noise study will show that information and we could share it with you. Okay. 
and then on on a noise study that you have done, um, I guess there would be like a range basically that your noise would then then it would disperse, right? Right. Could y'all give me like just from one of your cases? Could you go give me a number there about roughly how far out from the building you would actually hear something before it's completely dispersed? That Any I, idea? That I don't know because it's it's based on wind. There's a lot of other, other yeah, let, factors. Let's assume a calm day. I, I know there's wind and storm. Yeah. <laughs> let's just assume like a just a standard clear day. Nothing, no outside impact whatsoever on on that sound. Any rough idea about the circumference radius out from the building that you would it would just go away and you wouldn't hear it? <clears throat> we would have to come back to you. That's not the way the reports usually work. We usually pick specific points that are set distances. We're not working back to see where the uh, the noise is, is okay. um, picked up. So I wouldn't be able to answer it right now. Fair enough. I'm, I'm trying to equate this or compare this to, let's say, a uh, you know, a compressor station for a drilling site. You know, they, 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 there's, we have ordinance for that. There's a range out from the building or from that facility uh, where they've kind of calculated that this will be a safe distance away from it. So with noise and other things, but, yeah. but I was just curious if y'all had any kind of numbers to give me the kind of no like distance out from the building. So, Tommy man, 500 Winstead building. I've worked on several data centers around it. Generally speaking, the the desk for, for every doubling of the distance the decibels will reduce by like six right and this the plan that was put on the screen that hasn't will still have to come back to you and this will obviously be a focus of that effort is already at 530 feet or so from the closest residence okay. and there may be opportunities to make that farther even that's not a final plan obviously but this is it would be a mischaracterization to say this is right next to a home. There's already a substantial distance. Okay. No, that's good, good information. Thanks for sharing that. Um, you know, I, uh, yeah, I, I want us to have unique opportunities in Mansfield. This is certainly a unique opportunity. I wish it employed more people you know, give people a little bit more opportunity to work in a unique space that's obviously growing, right? Because data is basically turning into gold uh, for everyone. Um, I mean, I do share some of the concerns about the noise, but uh, you guys have done a good job kind of giving me information tonight to go off of. But I may want a, just a little bit more, more information because I'm an information guy. <laughs> sure. And one thing I'd like to add, the number of jobs, by the way, construction jobs, I was just talking about our permanent kind of long-term jobs. The number of construction jobs are hundreds of construction jobs that are going to be created. Yeah, I'm, I'm more focused on the permanent, yep. you because know, those but, are the people who are actually going to live. Sure. And we, we may have some that live here in Mansfield that work on it in, in the construction capacity too, don't get me wrong, but those, temp, those permanent jobs are what I'm really focused on. And the other thing, um, and the site plan kind of showed it a little bit, and I spoke about our modular construction, how we do it in phases. Uh, the great thing about how we build is we'll start with phase one, phase two, and then as market demand takes that space that's being constructed, the construction workers can stay and build phase three, which you kind of saw that the future off on the end. Um, so it's not a, a quick hit kind of one and done. It's a multi-month 
uh, process as well. And as my colleague said, the, the DB ratings, typically it goes to the property line um, and you, you'd measure it, as Tristan said, at various locations as well. Um, and noise traveling and what may be there and what dissipates, it's uh, very interesting stuff. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys. Any other questions or comments from the commissioners? Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. If not, I am ready to receive a motion. We have a motion on this item, Chairman. Um, I will make a motion. Um, I, I don't know if this is possible, so to to approve this, um, but I, I need to know more if there's a possibility to put a requirement on noise pollution, um, if that's possible. No, I, I believe the motion you're making is for the use of the, the okay. zoning change yeah, for the zoning change. Yes. Okay, so I, I make a motion to approve the zoning change. Okay, we have a motion to approve by Commissioner Little. Bennett. Where did I get Little from? Hadn't been that long of a night. Do we have a second? I second. Second by Commissioner Shaw. Please cast your votes. That's okay. Still not going. There we go. Okay, that item carries four two with one absence. Next item on the agenda, item number 23-5758, public hearing on a change of zoning from MF2, Multifamily Residential District, C2, Community Business District, and PD, Planned Development District, to S, South Mansfield Form-Based Development District on approximately 42.983 acres, generally located on the northwest corner of FM 917 and Klein-Tunes Boulevard and east and south of South 2nd Avenue, Setback Partners, applicant, zoning case number 
Good evening. Good evening. Mr. Chair, I apologize. Looks like we're having a little bit of a technical difficulty here. Could you just give us just a few moments to see if we can sort it out? No problem, sir. Thank you. Okay, as they prepare to work on uh, the presentation for this particular item, we're going to move to the next item on the agenda. Are you ready for that or you want to wait? Stay on this one? Okay, great. Okay. Okay, at this time, we're going to take a five-minute recess to allow staff an opportunity to prepare this presentation. Commissioners, if you need to step out for a minute, please do so at this time.
Okay, we're back in session. <coughs> Item 23-5758. Ms. Helena, you have the floor. All right, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and I apologize for the delay. This is the zoning change for M3 Ranch and Pickler Nation. This is a zoning change from multifamily commercial um, community business district and planned development to the South Mansfield form-based development district on approximately 42 acres on FM 917 and Klein 2 Boulevard. So this is the current zoning for this project. So the site is zoned, I think to the north is commercial and uh, community business, which is C2, and a part of it is multifamily um, residential. And to the south is an existing zoning um, a PD for M3 Ranch. So this is the aerial photo of the area. So the project is located to the um, northwestern corner of Klein 2 Boulevard and FM 917. And a part of it is located to the east and south of South 2nd Avenue. So this is the current photograph of the area. The site is vacant. And this is the second photograph of the area. So this is the concept plan of the project. So as you can see, um, the blue areas are the multifamily residential um, units of about 580 units. And then the red areas is the commercial site, which is about um, 17,050 square feet. And it has a total parking of 640 spaces. So this is a continuation of the concept plan with three buildings, three commercial buildings on about 18,000 square feet. And then it has a parking space of 405 parking spaces. So these are some of the conceptual images of the project. So it's going to have vertical multifamily development with um, outside seating areas and indoor seating areas. This is also part of the conceptual images of the area, which comp um, comprises of um, restaurants, stores, and areas that people can come together with um, restaurants that are in walking distances. So the zoning request, as I said earlier, is from multifamily community business district plan development um, to South Mansford Farm Based Development District. So this project proposes a variety of uses, which is residential, commercial, and entertainment district, which will come together to create a mixed-use feel, and also is going to use modern architecture and complementary amenities like parks and swimming pools and all those com complementary uses. So in summary, as we've all heard about this SOMA, which is South Mansfield Form-Based Development District, this actually provides um, guidelines or principles that will ensure that the development comprises of misuse development and all the projects are going to be connected and ensure that the area is pedestrian friendly and then visually appealing for everybody. So in conclusion, we are saying that um, with the uses that they are proposing in this project, it's actually in line with the city's vision to improve that Western Promise area. 
And so with the uses that they are pro proposing, which is multifamily, um, commercial uses, and all those mixed-use uses are going to help us achieve that Western promise of the city. And with that, the staff is recommending approval of this project. The applicant is here for a presentation, and so after their presentation, we'll be all available for questions. Thank you. Thank you so much. I believe the applicant is Carly Sims. If you would, please state your name and address for the record. Carly Sims with MR Development at 100 North Mitchell Road, Mansfield, Texas, 76063. Thank you so much for your presentation. So currently, this is an honor to present a vision that holds great promise for the city of Mansfield, the M3 Ranch commercial project. Currently, the property in question encompasses 23 and a half acres of MF2 multifamily zoning, about nine and a half acres of C2 commercial zoning, and 10 acres to the existing M3 Ranch PD. Our proposal seeks to transform this area located south of Broad and along Heritage Parkway into a vibrant, walkable hub that blends residential and commercial spaces seamlessly. We are requesting a SOMA zoning to provide us with the flexibility necessary to develop a mixed-use, compact, sustainable, neighborhood-oriented environment. Strategically, this is located near the Hollywood Film Super Studios. Our project is set to complement and benefit from the influx of residents, students, and professionals these studios will attract. M3 Ranch Commercial aims to be the cornerstone of this dy new dynamic community offering diverse services, retail, and entertainment options. So I kind of just wanted to place us here where the project is and also in the heart of the M3 Ranch de development. So here we are here. This is M3 Ranch Road. We have Klein Tools Boulevard and 2nd Avenue and um, Farm 917 and Heritage Parkway there. We have sold off four school sites already. Everything in yellow and brown will be rooftops. We have a few pocket parks and an amenity center that will be finished, developed with this project at final build out. With the M3 Ranch master plan community aiming for 1,600 rooftops at final build out, our development will be designed to be the commercial heart of this area. By providing essential services and creating a pedestrian friendly environment. We're not just building spaces. Our goal is to enhance lifestyles and foster community connections. Oopsies. M3 Ranch Commercial isn't just a project, it's a continuation of a family legacy, a commitment to our city's future. Over the years, our involvement in this city has been deep and transformative. We have dedicated ourselves to crafting developments that not only meet but exceed expectations. Each project we've embarked upon has been a resounding success, turning spaces into vibrant, inviting areas where people are proud to live and work. Extending this exact brand across the street to M3 Ranch Commercial reflects, we aim to reflect the spirit and character of the M3 Ranch community that we currently start, have. This project is about continuing a story, a narrative that resonates with every family in Mansfield. Community engagement has been at the heart of our project. 
We recently held a whiteboard session with a handful of Mansfield residents. This collaborative approach allowed us to understand the community's desires and integrate them into our plannings. We intend to design a destination that invites people to visit, stay, and enjoy. I have a few inspiration pictures that were shown in the presentation again um, in the beginning. Um, this modern, rustic, um, ranch-style theme that we were we will be very on par with. Lots of natural wood, stone exteriors, and just classic ranch designs will be integrated in our designs. Moving on to civic spaces creating a lively, pedestrian-friendly, walkable hub of entertainment with unique restaurants, trendy retail stores, you know, a connected experience with colorful storefronts and well-lit you know, sidewalks for anyone coming to stay and enjoy this property. Our track record speaks for itself in every development we've, been, we've done in the city. It's been a testament to our commitment to excellence and an unwavering dedication we have to Mansfield. We don't just promise, we deliver. As we set our sights on M3 Ranch Commercial, we carry this legacy forward with the same commitment. It's not just about building another development, it's about enriching our community so people can plant roots and call home. And to make this a reality, we will engage in a collaborative process with city staff to work through the development agreement and land assemblage plan. And through this partnership, we aim to ensure that our vision for M3 Ranch aligns seamlessly with the broader aspirations for the city. This is just a glimpse of what we are proposing tonight. We are asking for your approval. Thank you for your time and consideration, and we are here for any questions and further discussions. Thank you so much for your presentation. We will now open the public hearing at 7.32 p.m. And I don't believe we have any cards for this item. Okay, we will close the public hearing at 7.32 p.m. And I will open it up for commissioner questions and comments. I do have a comment slash question. Um, I think that it's a great use of land. I think it would be a great development. Um, I did like the aesthetics and the slides that were shown. The question I guess I have is, with Mansfield's vision to become more of a walkable city, have you considered how to integrate the M3 branch development already there and how you could make it walkable across 917? So we have had discussions about that. Um, one of the things, a lot of these things are still in preliminary planning phases for us, but um, one of the things we were wanting to do, we talked to a few people about, we were curious about maybe creating a golf cart community or something just where people can, you know, walk across the street and kind of come and enjoy and visit. So to limit the, the use of cars, you know, right. we want to, for all of the residents, of course, across the street, it'll be an easier access for them, but it is our goal to find a way to create something where it blends seamlessly across 917, because I understand it is a busy, you know, street. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. I just wanted to, for my peace of mind, just know that maybe there were talks about that possibility happening. Yes. We'll stay on that topic, because I have the exact same concern. Mm -hmm. I I, there's no doubt what's being proposed here, fantastic. You know, the images I just saw remind me of uh, the development up there on the south east corner of the tollway and, uh, and 121 up in Frisco. Yes. Uh, where Union, Bear Union and the breweries there and there's several restaurants and there's a boardwalk with the big 
Yeah, excellent. This is a great place for something like that. Um, but the concern, and I would, not just for you, but maybe staff too, the challenge here is how do you connect it? 917 is where it is now, but it could end up being a six lane facility later. So that's gonna make the challenge even bigger. So is it looking at something aerial to bring people over to it, or is it looking something underground to bring people to it? Because I, I don't know if street level is going to actually work in the end. Um, but I, I would be fascinated to see how we could incorporate that and connect it to your major development that's already there. Uh, but no doubt, I think this is a challenge that can be overcome as things get developed. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm very, very pleased at what you're proposing tonight. So thank you. Thank you. Gentlemen. Good. Okay. MR development has been great for the city of Mansfield. <laughs> and we appreciate the continued development that you bring to the city. I would echo the comments of Vice Chairman Axon and um, Commissioner Thompson that this is certainly something that is great for that part of the city. And we're looking forward to seeing it and very excited about it. I have the fantasy of them being connected too. I don't know how. I couldn't tell you how to do it. <laughs> but it does sound good that if it could be connected. But uh, this looks like a great project, and I'm excited about it, and I appreciate what MR Development is doing in the city of Mansfield. Thank you all so much. Thank you. I did have one follow-up question. I guess this might be for staff. Is there a plan to signalize Klein Tools Boulevard in 917? I'm not aware of any plans that, that there are out there to, to put signals. I know that all of those, we can definitely make sure that we work with our public works group to uh, provide you all with that information as we progress through these types of conversations. Uh, I think one of the things that staff looked at as we've had discussions on this development are, is, is yes, there is a difficulty getting residential traffic from the east of 917 over to the development. I think that there's a large area of this development though on the west side of 917 as well on the west side of this project that I know as we've had the discussions with the development team that those are the areas where they see the, the easiest access over to the development. Uh, but as, as we develop the MTP or any future um, improvements along the area, they will definitely help the traffic. But I, I unfortunately don't have those, or those uh, details right now. I can make sure that we have those for future discussions um, on 917 and Klein Tools as we move forward. Thank okay. you. Thank yeah. you. Okay, if there are no other further questions or comments, I am ready to receive a motion. Mr. Chairman, I move that we adopt the recommendations. We have a motion to approve by Commissioner Moses. Second. Second by Commissioner Thompson. Please cast your votes. That agenda item passes 6-0 with one absenteeism. Next item on the agenda, item 23-5761. Public hearing on a change of zoning from MH Manufactured Home District and PR Pre-Development District to PD Plan Development District for attached single family residential and manor house uses on approximately 11.03 acres located at 2600, 2626, and 2628 North Main Street. 
Phillips Equity Capital LLC, owner developer, zoning case number 22-018. Good evening. Good evening. Okay, so this is Diamond Head Estates. It's a public hearing on a change of zoning from uh, MH Manufactured Home District and PR Pre-Development District to PD Plan Development District for attached single-family residential and manor house uses on approximately 11.03 acres, located at 2600, 2626, and 2628 North Main Street. As you can see, it's surrounded by primarily PR um, and single-family 7.512. Uh, there's a few uh, C2 uses around it, or zoning around it. The C2 that's adjacent to it on the north is actually used as residential right now. Um, always has been. Um, so as far as I know, there's no plans on using it as C2. This is the aerial photo. So this is, if any of you are familiar with the old Idlewills manufactured um, home community that was there maybe 10 or 15 years ago. This is the site today. That's actually Idlewills Road that used to go through there or driveway going into that community. This development also incorporates um, two lots to the north of Idlewills and this is how that currently looks today. So this is the proposed site plan. Um, the yellow is the manor houses. The row house type A's are in the middle and the row house type B's are along the south property line. The site is currently zoned uh, manufactured home and pre-development. As proposed, the development would consist of 102 total units. 32 type A row house units, 14 type B row house units, and 56 manor house units. The development provides common areas including um, an active open space towards the front of the property on North Main Street. That open space area will have um, playground, dog park, maybe some exercise equipment or like exercise stations. The site also has a large Tarrant Regional Water District easement in the southwest corner. This does create some restrictions as to what can be put on that easement. Um, the, the applicant is proposing to use that as passive open space um, with a walking trail and lots of landscaping. The buildings will include one of three permitted frontages, porch and fence, a door yard, and a stoop. All row houses will be a maximum of three stories and manor houses will be a maximum of two story. Provided off street parking, row house type A will um, provide four parking spaces per dwelling unit. Um, they will be accessed um, by an alley in the rear of the properties. Row house type B, which was along the south property line, those provide two parking spaces per dwelling unit. They are accessed through a driveway off of the street with the garages um, side, on the side of the property or the side of the house. Manor houses will have six spaces per lot. Um, each manor house will have two to four units. Um, 
but that's six parking spaces per house or per building. Um, those will be accessed from a common access easement at the rear of the lots. These are the proposed um, elevations, building elevations. We have um, two slight variations on the building elevations that staff is still working with the developer on fine tuning that, so we decided to include both of them. This is a typical manor house, um, and this is the developers proposing that it probably will look similar to this. And here's the landscape plan. You can see the active open space up in the northwest corner. Um, on the southwest corner is the TRWD um, passive open space area. They have a detention pond in the back. Um, again, you can see the orange is the manor house lots. Uh, the red is the type A and the yellow ones at the bottom are the type B. The proposed PD plan development district provides the city with additional residential options along the North Main Street corridor. The development standards provide a predictable development pattern with approximate, appropriately spaced green spaces throughout the project. And the proposed development will also provide elevated standards for architecture, landscaping, and other public realm amenities that will positively influence adjacent properties. The Department of Planning and Development recommend approval. And the applicant does have a um, presentation. Okay. Thank you, Ms. Emerson. Okay. Uh, would the applicant like to come up this time? Good evening, Chairman, Commissioners. Thank you for your time this evening and thank you especially staff for all the work you've done on this. Much appreciated. Um, this site has been on a journey. Sir, if you would, oh. please state your name and address for yes, the record, sir. please. Uh, South Cole, 4609 Winthrop Avenue, uh, Fort Texas. And go. Uh, this site has been on a journey over the last uh, Little, little over a year actually, and it started out as uh, townhome development, and uh, it's it's come a long way. Um, as as Ms. Emerson said, it was started as a uh, manufactured home uh, park, trailer park, and we've been interested in seeing this become something much nicer uh, and something that fits within the vision of Mansfield. Uh, and also not something that's just a ton of lots crammed on uh, a, a piece of property, but something that has visual, visual variety and something that will add uh, a, a variety for the marketplace as well. So um, Shirley took all my talking points because she explained everything already, so I'm, I'm having to reassess here what I can share with you that's new, but... Uh, these do the trick. There we go. So this is a little bit of our inspiration for the different typologies on site. And you'll notice that it's all residential, but uh, so it's not mixed use, but it is mixed type within residential use. And uh, that, that adds that visual variety, uh, but it also adds the variety of, of 
options for the marketplace that we think is important. And I think that's something that is uh, attractive for Mansfield and something that the 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 market needs. So. This row house on your left is one of the inspirations. These, these are just images, but these you'll see some of these elements that play into uh, some of the design. This was a site in Fort Worth, actually, uh, and this was for the inspiration for our site entry units that are, uh, unfortunately, we just cannot access those from any other point uh, on the site. So that has to come from the front, but we're able to avoid garages that were street facing. And the second image is uh, Manor House that you've seen this a hundred times because it's Norton Commons. And uh, this is something that I've been uh, hearing from Jason for a long time and it's really good to see this uh, come into a project that I get to work on. And then this third image is a pond amenity. Uh, again, some, some visuals from Jason Alexander that uh, fit well within our site at that retention pond. Now here's some more uh, Norton Commons points here for us. The manor house is again on the left, and Trillith in Fayetteville, Georgia, was another site that we were pointed to that has actually been a good inspiration for us in terms of integrating some additional street side parking that still softens the impact of, of those vehicles, uh, parking on the street, integrates the landscape in with that. All the while, you have a very pedestrian oriented, pedestrian skilled neighborhood uh, that really fits with a higher level of quality. Uh, and again, not just cramming lots on a piece of property, but adding uh, a sense of place to this development. So here's a rendering, one of the first renderings that we have. This actually just literally came in today, so we still have some work to do to update some colors and, and add some more variety to some of these elevations. But this is an example uh, looking down, you'll kind of see the camera view in your bottom right-hand corner there. And this is giving you an idea of at least the form of the uh, manor house in the left and the townhomes, the two unit townhomes on your right with the decomposed granite gravel parking on the left. Uh, and then a, a big intention to create a really healthy street wall so it's very pedestrian skilled. So when you're walking in this neighborhood, it feels inviting, you feel safe. Um, and at the same time, vehicles are not encouraged to drive through here really fast because it's a, it's a more uh, intimate environment. Um, so uh, I know there were possibly some concerns from other neighbors uh, about traffic and, uh, and this is, you know, hopefully some of this will address that concern. Um, again, a lot of the points that Mrs. Emerson already touched on, uh, the row houses uh, are in the two unit and four unit variety and the elevations that she mentioned having a couple of different uh, versions of those we we've been working with staff a lot to refine the elevations and make sure that those are coordinated well with our PD standards and so we found that uh, these standards are, are very high and very specific so uh, we came back with a more recent revision of the elevations that more specifically address those standards Though I did get some commentary from staff that there's maybe some elements that they'd like to see put back in there, and I think it was maybe some of the gables in the back of the building, uh, which we are totally fine with. That would be, uh, we don't have an issue with that. The, the reason those were taken out is because those are all, the back of the units all face each other, so there's not any exposure to um, pedestrian-oriented street areas. But again, we can add those back. That's not, a, that's not an issue with us. Um, <clears throat> And you can see the 
these are the two units in the yellow uh, on the south side of the site, and then the four unit uh, buildings are through the middle of the site. And again, a variety of elevations, and these elevations are designed such that they can, they are interchangeable, and the vision is that there is a, a anti-monotony uh, requirement that goes throughout this site to keep there from being, you know, every single one of these rojas is the same. There will be some, uh, uh, the variety required, and so that's why you see the elevation is staggered, the elevations are different. Uh, we have our architect working on a few renderings to clarify that, to give it some 3D renderings just to show you what that looks like because it's really hard to see this uh, in just a 2D elevation. So that's something that we'll bring to council. Uh, but again, it's, it's required in the PD language, so um, it's, it's you know, I, I think it works here still, it's just hard to communicate visually without some 3D images that we'd like to show, uh, again, for council. Uh, and this is the manor house, and these are located throughout the site. Uh, again, we wanted to have a variety in the site, so we didn't pile everything in one place. We have them spread out and integrated within the fabric of this neighborhood. Um, and they are all, all the elevations that are facing public spaces or uh, traffic spaces, tr well-trafficked spaces uh, have elevated amenities, porches, um, uh, features on the facades that, that add visual variety to the, to the building architecture. Site landscape that you've already seen, and I'm just gonna click through the next few slides and then get to questions in case you guys wanna jump in. So, civic spaces, Again, Shirley did a really good job of telling you all about this already. Um, it, here are the plans on the left and then our inspiration for those uh, spaces on our right. Uh, these, are, these are just park spaces, sort of uh, a muse arcade courtyard space from actually from Sword Morton Commons as well. And then again, the pond amenity. And then the frontages that uh, you saw earlier, this is a, a pretty specific part of the engagement of each building with the sidewalks, with the pedestrian spaces, such that every building is required to have a specific frontage or, or a frontage. So they will have a frontage, one of these three, that uh, very intentionally engages with the sidewalk and pedestrians and also, again, creates that street wall. So you really feel like you're walking down uh, um, an established, uh, well-thought-out space um, that thinks about the pedestrian. So with that, uh, I will close the presentation and uh, uh, open for any questions, but thank you all for your time and consideration. Appreciate you all. Thank you, Mr. Cole. Yep, you're welcome. Um, Philip Gunn, I think you're with the applicant as well. Do you, did you have any words? Um, Philip Gunn, Arlington, Texas. I'm with the development group, um, Michael Phillips, uh, president and owner, um, we have worked with your staff and you've got a great staff. They very put together uh, kind of a, a model of what we would want to do, uh, kind of bring the vision of Norton Commons to uh, a little piece, because all we have is a little piece, 11, 11 acres, and uh, it's a, a very difficult site because it's 2,000 feet deep, and so uh, it's hard to kind of get a roundabout uh, on a big old bowling alley. And so um, 
but I think with your staff um, have just been amazing to get us to where we are today. It's it's been a it's been a trial a little bit, but we have definitely I think we've got there to where we've got something that could be really cool. Yeah, I'm glad you're up here. Man. So uh, to Mr. Dunn's point here, if I may chair it's not just about the architecture, but it's also about the vision and thinking about the transition from North Main Street to a property that came before you maybe 13 or 14 years ago and setting that property up for success. So when we were talking earlier about the Mansfield 2040 plan, it wasn't just about looking at one site specifically, but it was about looking at a site within a context of other sites. That's what this does. Then being familiar with some of the other development standards that we have from SOMA, from the downtown district, as Mr. Cole kind of alluded to with the frontages that are in front of you today, it goes back to an earlier comment that I made about collaboration and sitting and talking with the development community. And that's how you end up with things like this that's in front of you. So this is a lot deeper than just this site and the challenges that it has in terms of being more rectangular, but it's actually about a development team and about your Department of Planning and Development Services coming together, sitting down, having a mini charrette, and then presenting this to you this evening. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I, and I feel like we can plug in well with, uh, we're working with uh, the landowner, it's about 25 acres to the north, um, east of this site to, to uh, transition our piece into their land and I think it can fit and uh, be a nice uh, addition to what uh, they're doing across the street with Bloomfield Homes. Um, I think we're um, a, a good fit to grow that part of uh, the uh, part of Mansfield where there's not been much growth there. Uh, I think Bloomfield uh, Holmes has done an excellent job, a great looking product, uh, and I think we would match up well in that, in a lower price point. Uh, you know, the, the Bloomfield Homes, I think, you start at 650 and they go up to a million. And so we're a product that will be a much lower product that would uh, that allow, what our vision was, is to allow people that work in Mansfield to live in Mansfield. Um, and one of the statistics we had heard is a, a lot of Manfield, Mansfield uh, city employees don't live in Mansfield. And we wanted a product that would allow the city of Mansfield employees to live in Mansfield to get a product that they could afford to be in. So that was a, kind of an, another push for us. That's all I have. Thank you so much for your Thank time. You. And Thank you, Mr. Gunn. Yeah. Thank you. It is 7.57 p.m. We will now open up the public hearing. Uh, do we have any cards for this? We have no cards for this agenda item, so we will close the public hearing at 7.57 p.m. And I will open it up for commissioner comments and questions. Just have one question, I guess. Um, I like what, what I see, and I think this kind of fills in that little middle gap that we that we're looking at. Do you have an idea of what your price points are looking at for the the row homes and the manor homes? Uh, 
consisted of, and a manor house would probably be best described as a fourplex, is what I would say. And I, I know that you guys have, there's some new ones that have been built. We've said that we'd build a more, uh, a brick product, uh, I think. Uh, and I think what you have now is a, what would we call that? It may be masonite or, a, you know, a lap board product uh, that's been built, but we've agreed to build a, a, a brick product. But anyway, uh, you know, probably it's, unfortunately building costs are, you know, 250 bucks a foot. And so, uh, you know, the price range may be 350 to 450, I, I, would, I would assume. I, I don't know, we've not done those numbers yet, but because each unit's gonna be a little bit different, but yeah. Okay, I, I do want to recognize we received two emails uh, regarding this zoning case, and I do want to recognize those emails. Uh, one is from John R. Harris in opposition to the project, and the other is from Tony Comiskey, also in opposition to the product, project. Uh, no, sir, you don't need to read those. Those were both provided to you all in an email prior to the meeting today and then in, in print today as well. Uh, we will keep that with the, the, uh, the record of the project. Perfect. Thank you, sir. Mr. Chairman. Moses. Yes, sir. Uh, in regards to one of those emails, specifically the Tony Kaminsky, uh, there was this question, Ms. Alexander, about an eight-feet fence. Can you speak to that? And the uh, impact to this project. Yes, sir. You, sir. So we did work with the developer on the plan for this project, and it was our desire to go away from the fence because of the recent changes to the subdivision control ordinance due to the inability of some homeowner associations to be able to effectively maintain that. And we didn't want to take away from this project or from the value of surrounding properties, aesthetically speaking, with fencing that probably uh, wouldn't have the lifespan that we think that it should, and even the same with a masonry wall, because things do change. So if there is a desire to have some type of screening there, I would prefer that we work with our landscape plans reviewers on that to find the appropriate species that are evergreen rather than putting up a wall and then work with the developer on the location of those potential plantings so that way it's more natural and it's easier to maintain. less inviting, less walkable, uh, less aesthetic. It, it just feels like you're, instead of being something that could be open and, and more viewable and uh, friendly, uh, we just didn't want to be an enclosed camp. Mr. Gunn, while you're at the podium, sir, I think it was you or Mr. Cole spoke to the dimensions of the, 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 the land itself and how it's very, very narrow, very deep. Um, do you have any concerns about the density of what you're doing here as far as uh, the number of units that you're putting on the ground 
in, in such a small, tight space, especially with the challenges of getting in and out of the neighborhood as well, the community? Yeah. No, we don't, um, because there are communities in Mansfield that are far more denser in your, in your current uh, MF2 is much heavier density than this. This is 10 units, it's not even 10 units an acre. Uh, you're, you're, you've got 20 units an acre in, uh, in MF2, I think uh, is the number, uh, maybe 22 an acre. But um, I don't feel it's that dense. Um, it's, I think, but fitting in the Norton Commons heart of things, what we were trying to achieve with your help. So, yeah. And I'll also add, if I may, the, the density is actually lower than uh, recently approved, I think it was a South Mitchell townhomes. I think that was 90 units on less than eight acres or so. And so we're 100, 100 units on 11 acres, uh, a little bit more, a little, little bit more units, but a lot more acreage. Um, the density looks high, or it looks tight, because we have to fit all of that vehicular circulation. We have to fit all those roads on the sh on the site somehow, uh, and I think that's been that was been that's been one of the biggest challenges about this design. Uh, and it, it really is a design problem. How do you fit uh, the the quality and the quantity that's needed to make this a, an economical development, but still fit uh, what you need with a giant? Uh, Trinity River Water District easement and a, a big retention pond uh, and a narrow site. And so those elements make it look dense, though we have uh, two, over two acres of, of uh, park space, essentially, on site. Um, so about you know, nearly 20% of our site is park space. But it, is, it, does, feel, it does feel dense, but again, that was part of the, the challenge of, of making this a, a well-designed, thoughtful space that that fits all those challenges. I, I know there was a concern on the density, so I just wanted to ask a question to the staff um, or city. What on the current zoning with manufactured home? What, if it didn't get rezoned, what would that density possibly be or developed out to be? If that's possible. I'm sorry. I'm mostly just curious like on that. What would it under the what current could zoning? go in there yeah, if they didn't could. rezone it? I think the concern is the density of this development, and I'm, I'm curious on the I density mean, it, of what could be a development under the current It could zoning. be used as a manufactured home community. Um, it was challenging because there's no, there was no city sewer available there. Um, so I think financially it doesn't make sense to um, bring sewer there for another manufactured home community. All right. So to his, to his question, I think he's, he's curious as to if it was manufactured housing, what would the density be? The density? Yeah. They don't really have a density in MH. What they go by is you have to have a minimum of 40 units, and then there's a pad space about 20 feet wide, and it's however many pad spaces you can get in that space. So we would have to measure everything and get you that answer. Yeah, I've, but you I've could seen some of those developments in Arlington, and that's what I was kind of getting at is they, they squeeze them in, and they, I think you'd fit more in the, of that into this than what this current development looks like. This would be yeah. comparable to what you see south of Debbie Lane on Main Street. Um, okay. Thousand Oaks, for example, is a very similar project, and I believe they have somewhere in 100 and some odd okay. units in there. And my, my comments on it is this, this looks like an, an awesome use of this property, so. 
Um, I just was, I know there's comments on both uh, emails um, that, that were brought up that I wanted to bring some light to is this, this looks like the best possible use of this property to me personally. Commissioner, staff does their best to, to try to vet projects as, as much as we can before they get to, to you all. Uh, Shirley did bring up a, a point that I don't know has been brought up yet, and that is the need to bring sanitary sewer out into this area. Uh, that does impact the, the amount of development that the developer needs to provide in order to have a viable project. Aside from that, though, I will tell you the developer said that they've been working with us for the better part of a year and a half. Um, we have constantly asked, you know, can we bring that line down? Can we bring that line down? I think if, if we showed you some of the other plans that had come in as sort of conceptual drawings, um, you would say those are way too dense, right? I think we've worked to make sure that we have a good mix of, of unit types. Uh, I think seeing the manor house uh, used as greatly as it's being used in this development uh, helps bring a type of development that we haven't seen in other projects that we've brought to you. Uh, south was bringing up um, the uh, units on the south and how they have J drives that come into them. Again, trying to find ways to uh, pro provide a, a style of development that, that's appropriate in the area. Um, I think some of the things that I would point out are that to the east and to the north, um, not only do you have the buffers that are created by the roadways, but you have the buffers that are created by that green um, landscape buffer that's created in those areas as well. Uh, the project has provided us with a preliminary phasing plan uh, that looks at how you phase the project until you can get a second point of access built, constructed, and utilized by residents. I would say that most residents would still want to exit out onto Main Street just based on the ability to go north and south quickly. Um, those are all things that we thought as we brought this project together. I think when you see the, the sort of uh, muse that goes um, perpendicular with, with the, the units there, uh, you can see that they did have an opportunity to bring more units, uh, but I think the importance of green space and the importance of bringing those spaces at the center of the development were things that we targeted with the developer. Uh, this is an interesting one because uh, you can see the alley actually crosses over that area. Again, just some of those details that I don't know we've talked about, but details that go into each one of our iterations as we're working with the developers, uh, vetting projects prior to they come to the commission. And Mr. Chair, Planning and Zoning Commissioners, if I may, just add one more element for your consideration. I echo everything that Mr. Whedon Rodriguez shared a few moments ago. Essentially, the developer is holding himself to far higher standards than what would be required under the existing zoning. And I think that's what can't be discounted with a project like this. And then also because of the fact that they're holding themselves to higher development standards, that sets the tone for possible development to the Northeast there. That's important as well. So do want to bring that out for your consideration as you're reviewing this case. Mr. Chairman, Ms. Alexander, I want to make an, another comment as well. As you focus on the developer 
I guess rising to the occasion of higher development standards. But Mr. is it Mr. Dunn uh, made a statement uh, during his remarks that, that, that I don't think that we ought to uh, overlook. If you go back to around January, February, when we first started this conversation with the Citizen Steering Committee, there was this notion, I think the city manager, um, made a highlight, a, a focus on the number of employees, number of citizens who leave Mansfield and go to other places to work and return to this area. Earlier tonight, we just approved our future land use plan. And if I'm thinking correctly, future land use ought to consider the children in this area, but who's teaching those children? And so I celebrate their work for at least thinking, he mentioned the employees of the city of Mansfield, but I thought I heard that Mansfield ISD is the biggest employer in this area. So of course our educators ought to be able to live, work, play, and grow old or seasoned in this area. So. Thanks to you for your work. Thank you, Commissioner Moses. Commissioner Thompson? No? No comment. Okay. Vice Chairman Axon. Man, I'm really struggling with this one. <laughs> uh, maybe Jason has created this higher standard for me. <laughs> um, I, I mean, the layout, I, I understand the challenges that I'm seeing here with this piece of property. I really do. Um, and I am not opposed to what the use of row houses and manor homes at all. We need that type of housing in Mansfield to diversify. This is what I'm struggling with, is it's just the location of this development. I'm trying to, you brought up context earlier. I'm trying to visualize what, if I live here, what, I, what am I getting amenity-wise with this setup in this location in Mansfield? Um, what do I have walkable access to in this location in Mansfield? It's a lot for me to trust what's going to happen with the development that you just talked about northeast of here without knowing that. Because I do agree with the comments that are being made in one of these emails. If I live here, where do my kids play? Where do I play? Because there's certainly not a whole lot of commercial in this area. I have to drive to get there. I have to drive down Debbie, get down in the area where the businesses are. So this density and not having maybe more, more amenities within the neighborhood, I'm really struggling with that with this one. So when you say amenities, Vice Chair, are you referencing like swimming pools, that sort? Yeah, what, what's what's going to attract me to live here? Walking trails are great. Mm -hmm. You know that that is that's a plus. I get we're limited by many factors here, but what else are you going to offer me at that price point to live in this neighborhood? So, great question, and that that's something that you know, we struggle with to to figure out. How do you? compete with luxury apartments that have uh, you know, a, a 
indoor golfing range or or six swimming pools. Um, and and part of this is we're we're just not we're not competing with uh, urban luxury apartments that are three thousand dollars a month for a one bedroom apartment. Uh, That's th not the business model, but there still are amenities that that are meaningful and attractive. And so I think one of the big things is that just the quality of the space is designed and is built in such a way that the amenity is is the development itself. And I know that, that may sound kind of like lip service, but it really is. The, 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 the experience you get walking through a pedestrian or into a pedestrian-scaled neighborhood is very, very different than uh, some neighborhoods that just don't really think about that. They're just cramming 50 lots uh, all the way down the line. So the the muse that we have here, um, the playground you see, I mean, that, that's where your kids play in the playground, and that's not not very well uh, illustrated maybe, but I'm gonna take a cue from the previous presenter there. Uh, this is that park space here. And uh, and of course the, the uh, water detention area, which is which is a pond. Uh, and as far as as far as what other amenities are are here, um, the, the space is again the space is really the quality of the design, the quality of the architecture. That's that is that is something that we think brings a lot of value. That um, yeah, I I don't know what else what else we could offer. I'm not discounting what you're trying to do with the space you have there. You're using it correctly. Um, I guess my comment is when I look at the area as a whole over there, what else is offering, you know, outside of your property, how is your property meshing with everything else going on north of me, south of me, across the road? What happens to undeveloped property to the east? How does that all come together and connect to make this really fit in to this area? One of the issues with that area is why you don't have um, a a even a convenience store is because you don't have sanitary sewer. Nobody is going to come build there because there's no sanitary sewer. The only way that this makes sense is that we pull sanitary sewer to it for the tune of millions of dollars. So we, we can bring sanitary sewer all the way up a mile to this site that could help now bring sanitary sewer that, so now these long strips of property that run along Main Street can now have sanitary sewer that people will then buy those and put in a little strip center. Buy those, put in a convenience store. Buy those, and in the bigger lots, they might even buy it and put in a small grocery store. But they won't do that because there's no sanitary sewer. It can't be done, nobody will ever build like that without sanitary sewer. So, and they only follow rooftops. That's all they look at. How many rooftops are there? How many people are near me? And that's where I'm gonna build my new building. Well, if you don't get rooftops, none of the other stuff comes in behind you. And so that's where we're, we're gonna be the cart and the horse right here. Uh, we have to do it all. Uh, to make this make sense, uh, and yeah, you're, it's like 
the old subdivisions of old. That's just the way <laughs> you drive 15 minutes to get to the grocery store. That's just the way it was because the guy went out and pulled the sewer out where it was going to be. But one of the things I think this will bring, now we bring in sanitary sewer up Main Street, you now have a viable reason to build commercial. And that's what's going to help. And now that you got rooftops, commercial will show up. These little areas that I'm circling here are just the, the sort of byproduct of bringing sewer to the sites. So this 25 acres that's to the northeast here that, that Philip mentioned earlier. And then these other sites that are essentially landlocked. Um, they, they just don't have access outside of what we would bring that's just, just there. And so... Well, the, these two in the middle there, uh, they won't ever be anything. They're a, a pet cemetery. Like the movie. Uh, yes. yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's never going to be anything because there actually are humans buried with their pets. And so state law passed a number of years ago, you can now never move a human body. So that's always going to be a pet cemetery. So now to the northeast where it's uh, on that side where he's got the arrow, that is 25 acres. That's viable. That can be mm -hmm. a... Uh, and then the smaller circle can be developed and because the pet cemetery is just in those two areas. So I wanted to give them the opportunity to see if there were some additional amenities that perhaps could be incorporated, integrated into the civic space, not wanting to speak for them. But I do want to touch a little bit on the complete neighborhood model that we are attempting to follow vis-a-vis -vis the Mansfield 2040 plan. And one of the things I would share in response to the question that you asked, Vice Chair, is that it isn't just solely about increasing the rooftops, but it's about increasing the rooftops in a very methodical way and in a way that will drive interest, attract investment from retailers and from others who can provide those ordinary goods for daily living. And I do believe that this is one of those projects that can help spur that. I also wouldn't discount the ability of a project like this to spur that type of activity where there could be a commercial overlay or something like that to the northeast on the property that came before you or this body 13 or 14 years ago, that there's an opportunity there. But I think this is starting to lay the framework for walkability, for complete neighborhoods, and establishing a pattern that will be attractive for those types of users to come in. That's also not to discount the ability of shared amenities from development in the future. And I certainly understand where you're coming from about the fact that that's in the future and we're looking for that property on a developer to feel the same way about quality and about complete neighborhoods as this developer does. But I think with the way that the site has been laid out, I think with some of the challenges with getting sewer up and then with just a general topography of the site that this does lend itself to primarily, if not entirely, a residential use. And I think the way that they've mixed the dwelling unit types here, it serves a market that has not been served in Mansfield for quite some time. And on top of that, it does it in a way that is with integrity and with 
for a lack of a better phrase right now, architectural excellence. So I think that paired with the civic space, it starts to create the amenities, it starts to create that neighborhood vibe that again can spill over to adjoining properties. Thank you, Jason. Um, I would certainly, you know, encourage continued conversation to see, you know, what additional amenities can be had with this property. Yes. Again, I know it's challenging with its layout, and I know we have to take first steps to really bring a complete neighborhood together. Um, this is one part of Mansfield that may, is a little bit more challenging to visualize that than others are. Um, so thank you. Thank you both. Any additional questions or comments from the commissioners? I would just add and echo uh, Vice Chairman Axon that I agree with him in regards to the additional amenities. We are taking a gamble and we think the gamble is going to pay off in the future. Uh, when I look at what the property is today and what it could be with this particular development, it gives me some excitement as to what could happen over in that particular area. So we appreciate you bringing this to the table and we are hoping that our plan will continue to move forward in regards to what that development looks like in that particular area. So thank you so much. I'm ready to receive a motion. I move to approve. Move to approve by Commissioner Bennett. Second. Second by Commissioner Shaw. Please pack cash your votes. That item passes six to zero with one absenteeism. Next item on the agenda, item number 23-5762. We have a public hearing on a specific use permit for a gasoline service station and car wash on approximately 2.787 acres located at 1195 West Debbie Lane, Schaefer Construction, owner developer, Triangle Engineering, LLC, Engineer Surveyor, SUP number 23-004. Ms. Helena. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. So this is the SUP for 711 on 1195 West Debbie Lane on approximately 2.787 acres. So this project is located at the southeastern part of West Debbie Lane and FM 1187. And as you can see, the eastern side is bordered by the Pickle Farm, and to the north is the MISD property. And to the western side is also bordered by um, commercial uses around the area. So the current zoning for this property is the Community Business District, C2 District, and is surrounded by to the north is SF-1222, where the MISD property is located. And to the western side, um, similar uses, which are also community business district. So this is the current view of the area. This is another view of the area. So, this, this, um, this is a specific use permit for a gasoline station and a car wash. So looking at the current zoning com community business district, a car wash will not be allowed by right, but then there has to be special considerations 
Um, that is the specific use permit to ensure that the gasoline station will be allowed with that zoning. So this is the site plan for the project. So the site plan is laid out in, in a way that um, there are five inline fuel dispensers facing West Debbie Lane with a store building behind the, info, uh, the fuel dispensers. And to the south of the property is also a car wash, which has four proposed vacuum bays. So with the store building, there's a, the, the project is proposing a patio sitting area to the western side of the building to ensure that people can sit and then have access to the store building as well. So these are, these are some of the building elevations for this project. So to the top is the front elevation of the store building, and then we have the rear, and then to the south is the fuel pumps for this project. So this is the elevation, the front elevation for the car wash, and then the exit and entrance elevations for the car wash too. So basically these are going to be made of um, brick and stone, and then they are going to have tower features towards the end of the buildings. And then with the front building facade, the store is going to have transparent glasses so that people can see through the, the store. So this is the landscape plan for the project. And with the landscape plan, it ensures that there's adequate sidewalks along West Debbie Lane and North Main Street by providing five foot wide sidewalks along the public roads, which is West Debbie Lane and North Main Street. And there are three existing trees that are going to be maintained. And with that, they are going to have tree protection fencing around the trees during construction to ensure that um, the, structure, the structure of the trees are not damaged and the compaction of soils around the trees. The project also provides 20 foot um, wide landscape buffer um, along, the, along the public, public roads, which is West Derby and North Main Street. And to the eastern side or the eastern boundary of the property, there's a 10 foot wide landscape buffer along that side. So this is the sign, the sign plan for the project. So the project is seeking to have two monument signs, one along West Debbie Lane and one on North Main Street. So typically for every lot, um, a lot is entitled to one monument sign and one wall, wall sign per every street frontage. But this project is, uh, is proposing two monument signs, one on West Debbie Lane and the other one on North Main Street. And it's also proposing four wall signs on, on, the build, on the store buildings and the car wash. So the sign plan also shows one sign on the front of the elevation of the pumps, the, the fuel pumps, and then with the red, they are going to decorate it with vinyl strips. So these are the monument signs, example of the monument signs that this project is proposing. So these uh, monument signs are approximately 10 by 10 feet with um, 50 square feet sign area. 
So in summary, we are using the 7-Eleven on Broad Street and Mylock as a case study, and so we are building on that, and the applicant is ensuring that we create some kind of ledge between the brick and the stone. And they are also creating a patio sitting area, which is characterized by split rail fence, um, to ensure that people have access to the sitting area and the store at the same time. And with our knowledge about the community's growing commitment to art, the applicant is working with staff to ensure that we include a feature um, of public art as part of their signs. So with our recommendation, we are saying that if this project is um, approved, we want to reaffirm that all the glass areas, the windows, the doors, are going to be 10% tinted, not reflective. And then the two monument signs that they are proposing will be made of masonry base to match that of the store building. And that the area designated as passive space between the wood fence be paved to match the material of the pedestrian path running parallel to the store. And with that, the applicant also has a presentation. Please state your name and address for the record. Good evening, Mr. Chairman, commissioners. My name is Alexa Knight. I'm with Dakey Law, and I'm here, oh, uh, 6823 Prestonshire Lane, Dallas. Uh, I'm here on behalf of Schaefer, the developer, one of which is a Mansfield resident. Um, and then also we have on our team the Triangle Engineering, and they're here this evening also if there are any questions uh, after the presentation. Um, I, I do also want to point out, as all the other applicants did, your staff is fabulous. <laughs> um, I've de dealt with a lot of different municipalities, and uh, Mansfield definitely knows what they want, and your staff has definitely worked uh, with the overall team. Um, this, as we'll see, as I'll present this evening, this is not your typical 7-Eleven. There's definitely been quite a bit of upgrades, and that's been thanks to your staff. So as Ms. Helena has outlined, um, the Current site is uh, C2 zoning, and uh, the project is a proposed 7-Eleven convenience store located at the southeast corner of Debbie Lane in North Main. Um, it's just a little bit over two and a half acres, and uh, as you can see from this aerial, which is looking southbound, <clears throat> there are existing two uh, driveways along De Debbie Lane, and there's one on uh, North Main. So the existing zoning is C2, which does allow for the 7-Eleven. So what we're here this evening for is for the SUP approval for the uh, fuel pumps and the car wash. This is your zoning map, and we've heard a lot about the comprehensive plan this evening. Um, the red star is the location of the little bit over two and a half acre site, and that in the old comp plan was under the uh, sub area three. It's in the furthest northwest corner of that area, and it is wrapped by the sub-area one, which is primarily residential. As the last applicant mentioned, um, commercial does follow rooftops. So that's one of the reasons why 7-Eleven is interested in this location. The other thing that they uh, do in their analysis and looking at the rooftops is being able to provide a one-stop shop. So go to the convenience store, you gas up, you run your car through the car wash, you're done. You know, why put additional land use um, for a, car, a separate car wash next door when you can put all of that on the two and a half acres? 
This is another aerial that's looking eastward. Um, the site is encompassed by the uh, best made pickle farm. It's a great neighbor for the 7-Eleven. And uh, to the north, we have the ISD bus barn or depot. And to the west, there's existing commercial B&B um, tire service. And then to the northwest is the school and a Valero. This is a 3D rendering of what is proposed for the site. Um, also looking eastbound with the pickle farm um, immediately adjacent. And what we wanted to do this evening is, I really like working in Mansfield because you guys um, are very clear in your zoning uh, code and you say exactly what is needed in an SUP application and you also go on to say, okay, what are the conditions of approval? So applicants can understand what are, what are the metrics that we need to meet? So I wanna quickly run through those seven conditions for approval of a SUP plan. And I'm gonna go down to the elevation. This is what um, Helena was showing earlier. Um, because the first condition for approval is to make sure that um, you're not damaging or impairing property values of your next door neighbor. So we have the pickle farm next door. Um, what we have worked diligently with staff on is, as Helena mentioned, that we actually, if you look at the back of the building versus the front of the building, they look the same because so there's glazing on both the backside and the front. There's also parking and access from the back and from the front. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that that was pointed out. The brick ledge also was a learned um, from the Matlock and Broad site. Oops. Okay. The uh, second item was for conditional of approval was impeding the normal and orderly development of surrounding vacant property. This actually is the last vacant parcel in, in the intersection, so it will be developed uh, as commercial. The next item is to make sure that there's adequate utility service and our engineer has worked with staff and indeed that there is adequate service for the um, proposed land use. The fourth item is the design and location of the driveways. As I mentioned earlier, currently there are two driveways located on, uh, on Debbie Lane here. So what we've done is we've given one up, consolidated that into one driveway. We've moved it as far east as we can. Um, and we've also limited that to a right-in, right-out driveway. And then the one along North Main here has actually been pushed further to the south to give um, further uh, access to the intersection. During site plan stage, the engineer will continue to work with staff as also with TxDOT. Um, because of the spacing for the driveway on North Main for this one right here, uh, there is a variance process that our engineer is working with TxDOT and that should be approved. Uh, they, they have uh, given us verbal um, positive input on it and it should be approved here in the next week or two. The uh, next item of, for condition would be the um, adequate nuisance prevention measures, which we also heard with the data center. Even though our neighbor is our pickles, <laughs> we are proposing with the, uh, right here, uh, with the car wash up there, 
which this pointer's not working anymore, um, that there, there are actually roll-up doors on the entrance and exit of the car wash. Uh, the sixth item is directional lighting. The applicant will be using directional lighting within the development. And then the last item of condition of approval is sufficient landscaping and, and, um, and screening to ensure harmony and compatibility with the pickle farm. We have three levels of screening. We have existing fence that's there. We're also providing, let me move to the landscape plan. Let's see if it's, okay. So we have the fence that's around the pickle farm and then there's also a 10 foot landscape buffer with proposed trees in there. Um, and then there is the significant distance between the pickle farm and the car wash. This is the area where we'll have a water quality and detention pond and then Buffering the roadways, we have a 20-foot proposed landscape buffer along both roadways. So this evening, we ask for your favorable consideration for the SUP for the gas station and the car wash. And if you have any questions for myself or the applicant and or the engineer, we're here to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you. I believe we have two others for the applicant, Aaron Miller and Kevin. I'm sorry, I can't read the last name. Did you want to speak or... They're here for any questions. questions. Okay, yeah. great. Thank you so much. Okay, it is 8.39 p.m. We will open up the public hearing. Uh, I don't believe we have any additional cards on this particular item, so we will close the public hearing at 8.39 p.m., and we will open it up to commissioner comments and questions. Commissioner Thompson. Yes, I have a question. Um, I appreciate the rundown of the uh, regulations for an SUP and the guidelines for that. My question really is going to be, how does a small unattended car wash improve the life and lifestyle for our citizens? It provides a one-stop shop where you're able to have the three different amenities, the convenience store, the fuel station, and then run your car through the car wash. Not everybody wants to go and sit in the queue of the larger car washes where you might get a detailed, yes, perhaps you, you do want to do that, but occasionally you just want to spruce up your car and, and that's it for the day. Right. Um, so, and maybe these are naive questions, um, how does, with it being unattended, and the main focus of the business, I assume, is going to be the gas station, um, so how is the car wash maintained and or attended? Uh, I'm going to let the applicant respond okay. to that. Thank you. Good evening. Erin Miller, 2601 Network Boulevard, Frisco. Um, I'm with Schaefer. We're the owner-developer. 7-Eleven um, has been a tenant of ours for many years, and they do have excellence in operation. Um, they have, when they do have car wash facilities, um, they have car wash experts actually within the corporate office that do routine checks on the system. Um, they also have uh, certain standards that the employees there on site every day, 24 hours a day, are following to ensure proper working equipment. Everything looks good. Um, the facility feels good, and you know it's good and inviting for the the community. 
Okay, and then, um, so it was four vacuum bays, correct? That's what we're proposing, yes. Okay. Um, and then just the self-service for the car wash, which is... Correct. So you can purchase uh, the car wash at the pump while you're there fueling up. There's also a small, like, keypad um, at entry. Um, and then the doors open, and they go in, and the car gets washed, and then they leave. Okay, and is that accessible at any time, or does it have a start time at 8 in the morning and shuts off at 8 at night? Typically, it runs with the store hours, 24 hours. Okay, uh, and then where, uh, I guess it's per applicant, but has there been another uh, location with a car wash around this area that has uh, that you can provide as an example that has maintained and done well for a, a period of three plus years with a car wash like this? Um, I am not aware of anything, definitely not in Mansfield, um, that I'm aware of with 7-Eleven. Um, they operate car washes and other um, municipalities quite frequently. DFW's been kind of a newer car wash market for them um, from our experience, but I have experience with them in Florida as well, um, and they do operate them. That's pretty standard. It comes, it's a 7-Eleven and a car wash. So they've kind of brought this to the region and they've picked this site in Mansfield um, to be one of the first ones in DFW for them. Okay. Uh, interesting. Okay. Uh, well, thank you. I don't, sure. I think that's, I don't think I have any other questions right now. Thank you. All right. We appreciate it. Thank you. Um, could you, could you remain please? Sure. <laughs> Two questions. Could you go back to the bird's eye view where you show the new store sitting on the property? I'm glad you provided that. That's a great look to see exactly how it's going to sit there on the corner. That one. There you go. You went back. There you go. Okay. So uh, let me first ask you, are you familiar with the other locations of 7-Eleven that are in the city? I think yes. there's four that we currently have today. I am very familiar with Broad and Matlock. Schaefer was the owner developer of that site as well. Okay. All right. So we've got Broad and Madlock, we've got one at South 287, uh, we've got one at uh, Holland and Broad near 360, mm -hmm. and then we have one on Matlock traveling north down from the signature, Kroger Signature Store. So we have those four locations. Um, on the parking spaces, what's the number of parking spaces that you're proposing on this particular site? Kevin can provide that. 28 spaces. 20? 8. 28. 28? Yes. 28. Uh, you said you were involved with the one on Matlock and uh, Broad? Yes. How correct. many spaces does that one have? Do you remember? I do not have that off the top of my head now. Staff, do you have a, do you recall how many? Is it somewhere near that number, I believe? Maybe less. Maybe a few less. I would, I would just. So, so here's the reason why I asked the question. Um, um, First of all, I'm glad that we're going to potentially have something developing on this site, which is, which is good to see. I think we had an old car dealership there before, and mm -hmm, yeah, they're gone now. Um, so I, I travel past the one on Madlock and Broad every day, uh, back and forth, and uh, I'm, I'm just, I've never seen many cars parked at the 7-Eleven. Okay. I see traffic in and out, but I don't see cars just necessarily parked there. I know that the one on 360 and Broad has a smaller parking lot, and it doesn't seem to be an issue. The one that's right next to McDonald's, you may not, Holland and Broad. But they have a real small parking lot with very few parking spaces. 
but it doesn't seem to be an issue uh, for that one. And then the one on Matlock has a small parking lot as well that doesn't seem to be an issue. So you're probably wondering, okay, where are you going with this? Um, and my question is, um, that seems to be an, an amount of parking spaces that are probably doesn't appear to be necessary. Uh, I'm just curious how you arrived at that number because that seems extensive from a standpoint of needing that many parking spaces at a 7-Eleven. I can say the three times I've been to Broad and Matlock, it's been very hard to find a parking spot. Really? Um, obviously, opening opening day shouldn't count because that was quite oh, the, cheating, so quite you, the you fanfare. That was that. one of that. three. Um, <laughs> Well, they have a pretty um, standard parking of what they like to see. Um, when we activate the rear of the building here, uh, we want to invite people that are going north on Main, uh, which staff has helped us work with and activate that back rear of the building. So, you know, having those front parking space or the back parking spaces that touch the building is, is very critical to them. So it's very easy for the customer to come in off of Main. Um, and then the front is, you know, any convenience store um, fueling station prefers to have those along the front. Um, the back is more so just for employee parking, additional overflow parking, um, just enough to make sure that we're not in a situation, you know, I think a lot of them come out on opening day and bigger events and it's very packed and very crowded and sometimes during those peak times, I think that additional parking just helps the space feel more open and inviting. Would you all be open to reducing the number of parking spaces? Um, we could potentially take off a couple in the very far back, but we're getting into territory where it's, you know, less than what they want to see. So it would be, have to be a variance with our, our tenant. Okay. Mr. Chairman, just real quick. I was just going to add, I think there may be more parking okay. spaces at the one at Broad Matlock because there was additional space within the building yeah. for, for office use or commercial use. Yeah. So that, Good point. That may be why there's there's a lot more spare spaces there than what you're seeing. Well, here. I think, but according, I think to um, this one has more it, than yeah. Broad and Madlock. No. Yeah, Broad and Madlock has less spaces than the 28. Um, okay, thank you for that response. Uh, in regards to the pumps, um, have you all considered um, front facing off of Debbie Lane with the building itself and the pumps in the rear? Yes, so we worked with staff in the beginning to look at what that would look like. Um, we had a very hard time positioning the building up front to be similar to Broad and Matlock. Um, additionally, we've, you know, really felt like this area um, didn't call, you know, Broad and Matlock is a very unique property with um, what's happening behind it. Mm -hmm. um, here it's just this is going to be the development on site. So um, with access and circulation around the site, um, you know, this was the best layout, the safest layout, the best circulation around the building that we could come up with. Okay. Uh, and then uh, do you own the land all the way back to the south to the fence? Yes, so that'll be part of the 7-Eleven, um, and the back will be the detention and the water quality pond. Okay, there. so there won't be any other development back there? There will not nothing, be, no. Sir. Nothing at all? No, sir. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, 
the the 3D rendering Absolutely does right seem there, a little off scale because there's yeah. not much left, you know, once you take into account the detention pond water quality. That's the limits right there. Yeah, as the developer, we looked at potentially putting another use in there as well. Um, but with setbacks and maintaining a good landscape buffer and it would be very cumbersome, especially with the detention pond to be able to do so there. Okay. Well, I'm certainly not going to try to, to uh, determine how impactful a car wash is for your business. Only you know that. I couldn't tell you whether it is or not. Uh, I, I would agree with Commissioner Thompson, though. It, I haven't seen them very busy, um, you know, throughout the day. I don't see a lot of people using them. I mean, it's, it's so easy now to go to a $5, go through, and they wash, and they dry, and they do the whole process for you. But I just haven't seen many cars going through the car washes. That doesn't mean they don't. They may just not be doing it when I'm there. But it seems like with that particular land there and the additional parking spaces lends an opportunity potentially for future development. Our engineer did confirm that we are actually only providing an additional two spaces over city required parking mm -hmm. account. Okay. I have one question or comment on the, the car wash. Um, so the, the three 7-Elevens that I know in the area, I know one is on 287 and Broad. The other one, um, I couldn't remember, but Matlock and Turner Warnell, um, they're, they're closed. They don't use, the, they, those car washes are shut down. They've, the businesses have quit using them. Um, on, old, on some of the older stores? Yeah, so that, that would be my concern with these, these smaller car washes. I don't know that, what would be the reasoning for them to close them down? Is it because they don't bring in the business that they're attending and then they just set vacant so um, with the door closed yeah so typically it depends you know too if that was an acquisition site and they took over that building and you know trying to retrofit their equipment in there is very difficult um, so sometimes that's the issue I'm not sure on these specifically um, I will say interstate sites I, I come from the convenience store operator background so Interstate car wash sites never do well, so if there's one off of 287, I would imagine that's a pretty big reason. Um, they've picked this location and, you know, picked to have a half a million dollar additional investment here for a car wash um, because it services the residential immediately around it. Um, but does it disturb the residential because it's not immediately adjacent? So they've, you know, they go through a lot of... Um, studies and different things that they do to, to pick that. And I know they wouldn't want that type of investment, um, that huge of an investment up front, if it wasn't warranted to be a long-term asset for them. So this is number six. He just reminded me of another one. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, I'll start with access around the building and so forth. Um, will any improvements need to be made along Business 287, a diesel lane? What kind of feedback are you getting back from TxDOT on the permit, the so, driveway? I'll start with that. Okay. Um, so we've completed the TIA there. Uh, it's been reviewed with TxDOT, and maybe Kevin can speak a little bit better on this than I can. Um, they are in favor of what we're showing. The diesel lane was not warranted there um, with the TIA, and TxDOT, I believe, agreed with that. 
Please, Kevin, jump in so I don't say something incorrect. Good evening, uh, Planning and Zoning Commission. Kevin Patel, uh, 1782 West McDermott Drive, Allen, Texas, 75013. I'm the engineer of record for this project. Uh, as in regards with the tax store approval, uh, we, sub we prepared the TIA and we submitted the TIA with the concept uh, site plan for the driveway approval on the main street. Uh, we spoke with the tax dot representative uh, Isaac uh, in detail. We had a team call. We explained him what we are doing. So there is an existing driveway. I, I want to kind of start uh, all over. There is an existing driveway which is a little bit closer to the intersection. We are rem removing that driveway on uh, Main Street and pushing that driveway towards the south. And we are trying to keep it in between. The further down, there is another existing driveway. We are trying to keep it between the existing driveway right here. So there is right there. So we are trying to keep uh, in the center of the intersection and uh, this driveway. Uh, and Based on my preliminary discussion with Isaac, uh, he is in uh, favor of uh, proposed location of the driveway. Uh, we are proposing the right turn lane. Uh, however, right turn lane on Main Street does not meet the tax dot specific uh, distance requirement for the storage as well as the tapper. In this particular case, uh, since we did the TIA, and TIA supports the reduction of uh, uh, storage space on this particular driver, considering the constraints on this site. So we do have a favorable uh, response from the tax dot. It's going through the variance committee. Since it does not meet the requirement, tax dot access manual requirement, it has to go, to, go through the variance committee and we'll hear back from the tax dot here in a couple of weeks. Okay. Uh, one thing I did notice just looking at it on Google is the existing stropping on Main Street, it kind of, you know, that, that right turn lane uh -huh. begins closer to the intersection. So if you were to get approval for where that driveway would go, um, it looks like some restropping would need to be done along Main Street to define your, to find that right lane because you're in a transition period. You're seeing the opening up of that right lane and then your driveway is going to be right there within that transition so the way it works, this is not the accurate uh, scale for this particular overlay of the 3D rendering. But, we, you know, the right turn lane starts around here and basically tapers back and enters into the driveway. And then this, this merge back over there. So this, this is the right turn lane into the property. As soon as you exit out, basically you can go in this direction, you can make the right turn. You can go back on the Debbie, or you want to go straight, you can go straight or make the left turn movement. So there is a, uh, what I'm trying to tell you is basically the proposed driver does not fall on the tapper or transition of the existing right turn lane. It falls within the storage space. So what it means, it allows the vehicle to come out of the property and then basically take either right turn lane going towards the Debbie lane or go towards the north. Uh, and if you are driving north on the, I don't know how to erase this thing, but let me try. If you are driving north on the, uh, if you are driving north on the main street, basically you come here, you take this right turn lane, and you enter into the property. Or you choose to go straight uh, for the north, you can continue on the main street. So 
and TaxDOT will review, along with the city staff, TaxDOT will review this uh, proposed driver location. Like I said, on a preliminary discussion, they are in agreement with the driver location, considering the constraint, and they are in agreement of uh, allowing us the reduction, but they have to go through the process of getting the variance approved. No, I, I, I have no issue with that. I just think the, the area as a whole will have to be looked at to see how your driveway fits with that right turn lane. Sure. That's what I'm getting at. Yes, There's sir. probably some restropping that will have to be done on Main Street for it to work correctly. So right now the current TIA does not propose any restriping on the uh, Main Street. However, if TaxDOT comes back and asks for us to do the restriping in that area, of course we have to do that. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, can you kind of, okay, so to the car wash now. <laughs> Appreciate it, thank you. Where do you drive into the car wash and come out? Um, do you have this safe plan? You can try, you can, you can draw this. I was trying, well, how about we just clear Site plan, yeah. yeah. Um, so the, yeah, the entrance is gonna be on the west side of the car wash building there. And then egress um, is, is out. So I turn right off Main Street, come in, and I immediately have to turn right into the, the bay to go to the car wash? Yes. Is that correct? Coming down Debbie, right, you would kind of go around the out exterior of the perimeter there and then dive into that car wash entrance. Any concerns with the backed up car wash onto the road? Um, no, no concerns. Um, it can always be shifted further east, too, if there's concern um, during site plan review. Um, typically, it's like two queued is what we show, I believe. Um, is that correct? And the addition that this is not your, your typical longer car, single bay car wash. It is a shorter one uh, right. to minimize the queue. Yeah. Okay. I look at the clientele that's in the area. There's a bus barn across the street, so I'm not saying the buses would go through the car wash. But <laughs> um, okay, I, those were the only questions I had about the access around the building. Um, but I do want to talk about the building itself. And I don't know how many iterations you guys went through with city staff, but your building down on Broad and Matlock is a gem. Okay, it's great. And one of the things that I love about that building is that it's in the front. I don't see the pumps first, I see the building. Because when you build something like that, you wanna see it. I mean, that's, I wanna see that landmark on that corner and that, that's what you got down at Broad and Matlock and I think it's great. So I really wish there was a way that we could find to put this building as the front face and maybe have the pumps, you know, go adjacent with Main Street. It would really be great if there was an option that worked for that. So that is a non-starter with our tenant. Um, they do see a slight decline in sales when that when it's situated that way because it doesn't, although it looks beautiful and it looks beautiful there, it doesn't appear as convenient and that's all they can really come up with um, because their sales do suffer from that. Um, we've also done different iterations many iterations before we got here. Um, we tried to have the building up front and show the canopy behind, um, and it just didn't circulate well. This this site is not as wide. It's a lot narrower on Debbie, which is 
the main traffic um, thoroughfare there. And what they're catering to is that customer that's leaving to go out to you know the highway in the morning. Um, and so putting the building up front and not having that width and that circulation like Broad and Matlock does so well um, made that impossible for us to make it work with um, both 7-Eleven and just the way it laid out properly. No, I, I appreciate your answer. That's what we're looking for here. So, so thank you very much. Are there any electric vehicle charging areas? Yes, there's um, EV ready sites uh, or spots and they are on the back side of the building, I believe, from memory. Um, they will fall along the back there. This one is not EV ready. It's not EV ready yet, okay. Um, they designate certain areas um, on certain sites. Since this one's not close to the interstate, that is most likely why this one hasn't um, been shown as EV ready, um, but it's something that they can consider as well. I, I would consider it, uh, just given the times. Um, and I'm going to be just, just blunt about the car wash. Is it a deal killer? It's not very um, preferable. <laughs> Again, I appreciate your answer. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Further questions or comments from the commissioners? I, I did want to get clarity on one thing. I, I heard you explain it, but I may not have been following along very well. Can you go back to the bird's eye view again, the overview of the site? Um, and could you draw out for us again, is the entry off of Main Street to the car wash or is it? So the entry is, is right. actually like right there. No, to get into the car wash, where, where, which, oh, where, which way right do you go? Here. Right here. So you go from here, okay. Yes. So if I come in off of uh, Debbie, um, I can purchase a car wash in the front at the fuel station, right. or I can go inside and purchase it as right. well, right? And then you come around. And then I come around this way and go into the car wash and back out. Correct. Okay. All right. And then the other question I had for you with the existing land to the south, um, and I know I asked you already, but you don't see the value in further development to the south of you. Um, to your on your property there that would help from a traffic perspective um so i wish the 3d rendering was scaled a little bit better because i think it makes it harder to understand but you really only have you know this and if unfortunate circumstances arose and the car wash didn't exist you'd still only have that to develop when you talk about a detention pond and water quality in the back. Um, and so we would have to do a second lot there um, right. and then maintaining proper landscape buffers and uh, it just wouldn't be a viable development. So 7-Eleven will be leasing this entire um, track from us. So that would just be green space? Correct. Okay. Yes. And that area that she just drew there roughly looks like maybe 50 feet maybe 60 at most, if okay. the car wash wasn't there. Okay, all right. Okay, well, thank you very much. We appreciate thank your you. answers. If nothing more, I am ready to receive a motion. Uh, 
Mr. Alexander, for clarity's sake, before we make up, I know that there were conditions that the city had on this item. Uh, and then just an understanding on the motion itself. So we know that this is already C2. So they can build a 7-Eleven whether we, regardless of what happens tonight. Well, the 7-Eleven as a convenience store. As a convenience store, not but not, the, not with the car wash and the, the fuel station. Okay, so I wanted to be sure that before we have a motion that that was an understanding among the, among the commissioners yes. that that is the case, okay. So can we propose a motion without the car wash? And could you bring those conditions back up as well for the sake of the commissioners, please? That can be proposed okay. if that is the desire of the Planning and Zoning Commission. Okay. Bradley, I would like to point out it's been my understanding that if there is a motion to deny an SUP, it has to be based on one of the seven criteria as well. That's correct. Okay. Um, as, as presented by the representative uh, for the applicant, as well as, as you've discussed this evening, right? The issues related to the traffic and the way this connects with the surrounding land uses, uh, that, that would be the context for your considerations and your action tonight is, uh, does this site with this use under the conditions discussed this evening, does it satisfy those standards in your uh, estimation? I'll add just for convenience sake, if you desire to make a motion that incorporates these conditions, because it's in the record, feel free to make a motion whichever way with the conditions um, proposed by staff and that would be sufficient. If you want any additional conditions, we'll need those specified with clarity for the record. Do we have a motion? Can I just ask for clarity for one more thing? Um, could we table us to have some more discussion about the car wash? You, you could always uh, table this to another time for consideration. I know that uh, oftentimes these are staged for timing purposes, and uh, it may be that, that we're anticipating another date, but certainly that, that's not restrictive to you. So if that's the best option considered by the commission, I think that is something that will be available. Thank you. Uh, the applicant, um, because of the timing with the land sale, uh, we do not have the time to uh, for a tabling of the of the uh, SUP. Uh, rightly so, Mr. Alexander just you know, suggested, and I think it's good to mention that uh, while it's good to understand the circumstance of the applicant, certainly it's still within your discretion 
to act as you find accordingly. So if you wanted to table, it's still available, um, but certainly you have the context and understanding of the applicant's circumstances to take into consideration as well. Um, because our applicant is under uh, timing restrictions with the land sale, if the commission feels like they cannot support the car wash, then um, we would prefer, rather than tabling, that that item be bifurcated from the SUP. Thank you. So I'll, I'll make the motion here with given that information. Thank you very much. Um, my motion is to, to approve the SUP for the gas service station only. And with the conditions that staff has laid out in their recommendations for the stoning case. I believe we would need a recommendation of denial for the SUP portion dealing with the car wash. So we would need a motion. It, it, we would need motions on both of those items if that's the way we're going to, to deal with that it. or just a recommendation that the car wash be a prohibited use okay so I'll rec I, I recommend approval of the SUP for the gas service station prohibit include <laughs> prohibit that <laughs> and uh, to prohibit the car wash for this SUP is that Satisfactory, and with and include the conditions, the staff conditions that have been set forth um, under the case, the conditions that have been set here. Okay, we have a motion by Vice Chairman Axon to approve uh, the SUP, but prohibit the usage of the car wash, and also to include the conditions set forth by the city staff. Do we have a second? Second. Second by Commissioner Thompson. Please cast your votes. That agenda item passes five yeses with one no and one absence. Thank you. Next agenda item is agenda item number 23-5740. Public hearing to consider an amendment to section 155.096F of the Mansfield Code of Ordinances, H, historical landmark overlay district regulations related to emergency repairs of damage to historic landmarks, HLC number 23-010. Mr. Wright. Good evening, Mr. Chairman, commissioners. I come with a request um, respectfully from the Historic Landmark Commission to fix an omission in our ordinance. Um, within the last few months, we have actually had a car run into two separate buildings. And in fact, just last month at the beginning of November, we had them run into one of the buildings again off Broad Street. And so our ordinance doesn't contain provisions on what to do in an emergency repair. Um, in the first case, 
they took out one of the display windows on a building, and the second they went through the side of the St. Jude Parsonage. So what we have is, um, this is Western Hippies. It's the Masonic Lodge building on Main Street. Basically, it had that display window uh, there at the corner. It got hit by a car who made a sharp turn off of Broad Street trying to get onto Main Street, and they cut it short. Um, so they secured the damage, and then they made a repair, but they made it without review of the Landmark Commission and did not get a building permit for it. And you can see it kind of is not quite all there with the wall hanging over the top of the foundation like that. So our other incident, this is the St. Jude Parsonage uh, down on Dallas Street at Waxahachie. And again, if you know that section of road, Dallas is closed um, because it's now part of their church's parking lot. So apparently in making that left-hand turn to get onto Waxahachie, they missed the street and went through the house instead. And you can see the damage that it caused. And then this picture on the left is what happened in November to Western Hippies, where they cut it even shorter than that glass window and went right into the side of the wall. So what we're asking to do is create an amendment to the preservation ordinance and the zoning uh, regulations that creates an emergency repair process. And what it would do is it allows uh, the historic preservation officer to authorize temporary repairs. That would be putting up the plywood, putting up a tarp, something to secure the building in consultation with the building official to make sure that the building doesn't take any more damage and that it does not create a hazard to the citizens, the people passing on the street, so you don't have a bunch of brick falling on top of them. Um, but then we also want to make sure that the property owner goes through the review process on getting a landmark building fixed. So we're looking at uh, making the owner apply within 14 days of the damage for a permanent repair approval. And that would be, in this case, redo the bricks, uh, remortar them, that sort of thing. And then it would require the Historic Landmark Commission to act within 30 days of receipt of that application. So right now, the process takes quite a bit of time. Um, the commission has to hold a public hearing, which takes a 10-day advertisement. And then we have a regularly scheduled uh, meeting, which takes one to two months. In this case, we can throw an emergency meeting together quickly because we're eliminating the public hearing process, which is really not necessary in a case like this. So the idea is to streamline the repair process that we don't currently have so that we can get these owners fixed and back up and running. So the Historic Landmark Commission met uh, in November and they voted 7-0 to approve the uh, text amendment that we're presenting to you this evening. The Department of Planning and Development Services also recommends approval of the amendment. And again, this is to just streamline the process to make it much easier for these property owners to get through the process, get a building permit, get their buildings fixed. Uh, again, it only applies to landmarks. We only have 33 historic landmark buildings in Mansfield, so only those owners would be subject to them. Um, but again, this is, is something that lets us have some oversight to make sure it's done correctly and gets the owner back up and running as quickly as possible. I am available for any questions you may have. Thank you, Mr. Wright. Commissioners, do we have any questions for Mr. Wright? Y yes, sir. Um, Mr. Wright, just help me understand. Going through this issue with some screening walls in the HOA mm -hmm. and matching bricks, 
Is that a problem for the landmark buildings as well? Uh, let me go back here. All right, so here it's a little different than the, the screening wall issue. Um, these buildings range anywhere from uh, 1895 through 1920-ish uh, for our older landmark buildings. They knew how to build them back then. This Masonic Lodge building was built in 1900, and it stood the test of time through all this, this period. This is a car that ran straight into it, and that's the damage it did because this building was so well constructed. But the problem is, if you look at those bricks, they are not replaceable, except by getting them from another building that's been torn down with similar bricks. In this case, if we were to go to Mansfield, we would have to tear down Dr. Smith's office to get the bricks from it in order to replace these. So our design guidelines for landmarks have processes you have to follow on how to fix your brick, where to get replacements from. Um, for example, you can't use Portland cement on these buildings because it is too hard for these bricks. So you have to use a type N, which is mostly sand, because that's what they were designed for. And in a case like this, where you hire a mason just to come out of the blue and fix it, he's gonna use Portland cement and that damages it. So this ordinance is designed to get us to a review process where we can check and make sure before they actually do a permanent fix that they're doing it correctly and then get them the permit as quickly as possible so they can make it happen. Um, these repairs, as I said, that you're seeing on this particular building were done without that and now they're going back having to retrofit it to meet the code. So uh, that's what we're trying to help them out with because it is a lot more difficult to fix one of these buildings because the parts are so uh, difficult to get. But on the other hand, it's next to, you know, I don't want to say impossible, but it's very difficult to damage these buildings because they knew how to build them. Other questions for Mr. Wright? The Western Hippie Building, mm -hmm. what's, what's the actual name of the building? It's the Masonic Lodge. The Masonic Lodge Building. How many times has that building been hit? Um, in its history, I don't know. I, I know of these two recent ones because they happened within a month of each other. Um, but I don't know if it's been hit that way before. There have been buildings on Main Street where they have gone through the plate glass windows, which is a little less damaging because it's a big plate glass window right. with an aluminum frame that you can fix. Um, but I don't know of anywhere on this wall that they've actually run into it like this. I was just curious if there was a history of hitting this building getting hit, if there was some other improvement that needed to be made to prevent that from happening, like bollards along the roadway at sidewalk or something, but just. Yes, that is something we were going to approach the street department about um, to see if you notice on the uh, other side of the street, the uh, where Texas Tire is, they have bollards there. And that's not to protect the building, it's to protect the pedestrians on that sidewalk because it's so narrow and it's right up against the pavement. So if we can, we're gonna ask to see if we can get some kind of um, decorative bollard that might mitigate this because again, it was the same issue. Someone coming down Broad Street in either not paying attention or had too much at the bar or something like that. <laughs> and they made that corner too quick, you know, made that corner too quick. and. So, uh, <laughs> well, this, this particular it. one in November was actually a hit and run. They did it in the middle of the night. 
Yeah. And so um, don't know how that's going to turn out. But fortunately, there was a park bench there, one of those green benches, and they ran into that first, so it did kind of slow them down. Um, but you are correct about um, us looking at some kind of way to mitigate that corner so it doesn't keep happening. Um, but it has happened in the middle of the block where someone has just jumped the curb and flown through a building. Mm. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Wright. Mm -hmm. We will open the public hearing at 9.21 p.m. We have no cards for this agenda item. We'll close the public hearing at 9.21 p.m. And I'm ready to receive a motion. Chair, make a motion that we approve 23-5740, uh, the amendments to uh, 155.069, Section F. Motion to approve by Vice Chairman Axon. I second. Second by Commissioner Shaw. Please cast your votes. That agenda item passes five six zero with one absence. Next item on the agenda is twenty three dash five seven four six, public hearing to consider proposed amendments to Chapter one five five of the Mansfield Code of Ordinances to repeal the regulations in sections one five five point zero eight two e eight related to a special exception for temporary batch plants and to amend the regulations in section 155.099B23 related to temporary batch plants, OA number 23-012. Yes, sir. Good evening, Mr. Chairman, commissioners. Uh, this is my first time to get to be behind the podium. This is kind of fun. <laughs> Uh, happy to present to you this evening about the proposed amendments to the regulations of the temporary batch plants. Uh, to very quickly give you an overview of what we're trying to accomplish or what these amendments do accomplish. First, the purpose. One is to protect and preserve the health, safety, and welfare of the community. Certainly, we want to properly regulate these operations to the extent we can to make sure that the community is protected. Second, to ensure temporary batch plant regulations are congruent with state law. Because of the specific nature in which the state regulates temporary batch plant operations and the way they specifically limit what we can do, our regulations have to be consistent with what, state, what the state has put in place. So because we were making amendments, we wanted to make sure we updated what is in our code to be consistent with state law currently. And finally, to ensure that adjoining property owners, those within 250 feet as proposed under the ordinance, are informed of the proposed location of a temporary batch plant. This really is what, what prompted the amendment to these regulations. Uh, this came up for city council and the conversations they had related to that issue, to the issue that came before them. It was, you know, we understand our authority here is limited in what we can do in regulating this use, but one thing we can do is make sure that our citizens are aware when this is gonna be next to them so that either them along with us can do what we can to mitigate those issues. So a little bit more about what we're actually accomplishing through these amendments. First, we're repealing section 155.082E8, and that section then will just be reserved for any future amendment but that might need to be placed in that spot within the code. What that section had done before was created the opportunity for a special exception to be granted by the Board of Adjustment for a temporary batch plant to exceed two specific regulations within our ordinance. We didn't let a plant be located closer than 300 feet to a protected use, 
and we didn't let it be in operation for more than 120 days. If they wanted to exceed those, they had to go get a special exception to exceed those restrictions, meaning closer to a protected use or longer than 120 days. In order to bring our permitting process in compliance and to be consistent with the state law regulations now, we are repealing this so it will no longer be a part of our regulatory scheme or process at the city level. Next, it uh, amends provisions in section 155.099B23. Again, this, this is where the, the regulations and specific regulations we had set out for the temporary batch plan operations within the city. So to the extent, as we were reviewing this, that any of those provisions were inconsistent or violated what state law required, it makes sense and it's a good idea certainly for us to update those to be consistent and in line with, with state law. Lastly, again, the, the main purpose, so the, the, the uh, overarching purpose anyway, is to ensure that adjoining property owners are properly notified of any proposed location and operation of a temporary batch plant. As mentioned previously, uh, how that will work in the proposed amendments is when an application is made to the city for a permit to be granted by the city for the operation, we will then send out notification to all the, the property owners within 250 feet of the proposed site. Now, that city permit will run congruently and consistent with the, the state permitting process. So state permit starts, city permit would be submitted. Uh, we're, we're asking within five days. Uh, and then within five days, we'll send out the notice. So if, if everything lines up within 10 days of the application being submitted at the state, we'll have notices on the way to our property owners within the city to let them know that this is coming down the line and they can prepare uh, and, and potentially participate in that permitting process at the state level. That, at, at least at a high level, covers what we're trying to accomplish, uh, both the purposes and and specifically what the ordinance does. At this time, I'd be happy to answer any more specific questions or receive comments about these proposed amendments. Thank you very much, sir. Yes, sir. Any questions? Vice Chair Jackson, <laughs> we will open the public hearing and we'll come back to you, sir. Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> we'll open a public hearing at 9.27 p.m. And I believe we have no cards for this agenda item. So we will close the public hearing. I'm gonna give y'all five seconds. At 9.28 p.m. We'll open it up for commissioner comments and questions. Vice Chairman Axon. All right. <laughs> I have a few questions about this one. I don't, cert I'm certainly not disagreeing with what we're doing here you are correct based on some reading some light reading i did last night about tceq regulations for temporary batch plants we are our, our current ordinance is certainly not in line with it for a temporary <coughs> plan um, so I, I wholeheartedly agree that we need to get it in line with it um, i just have a couple of questions so the step you said we, we want to get the state the state permit goes in first is that looking at it from a broad view because there's different types of permits that you you go after from tceq most people go after a standard permit but then they have you know i'll call it a more specialized permit it's called an nsr permit we're leaving that for the state to to figure out and from that point when that whatever type of permit is ready from the state level 
is when you want to kick in to get the city permit, correct? That's correct. Okay. All right. I just want to be clear on that. The other question I have about the city permit is, you know, the main thing about these plants that people are concerned about is, am I breathing in something that's going to be hazardous to me? The, the noise that they create, because trucks, it mainly it comes down to the trucks. It comes down to diesel engines, combustion engines, and, and what they produce. Um, but another part of that is stormwater runoff. And I don't know if the city of Mansfield has, does MS4 permitting here for stormwater runoff, but that one I'd be curious about and how that fits into this, uh, this ordinance. Because that is a requirement, um, but, and if the, the city has a process for, for stormwater permit, permitting here for a construction project, um, then that can have some impacts to land use regulations and so forth. So that's, I'm curious to, as to that part of it. Commissioner Axel, when you say it's a requirement, do you mean that's a requirement for a temporary bash plan at the, at the TCEQ level, or it's a requirement for stormwater The MS4 issues? permit is municipal. Okay. So it depends on what we have from the engineering department. It depends on what's there. Not every city has it. Most of the cities in the DFW area do have MS, MS4 permits. So I, I can't speak to that. I don't know that we're uh, prepared to advise you about that issue specifically tonight. What, what I can say that if this site is, is in operation, it, it's generally speaking going to be required to maintain and, and control its stormwater to the extent that there's any operation on private property that is, is causing uh, runoff issues. They, there's potential liability under state law and all. Uh, with regard to, to how they, what they, I guess the repercussions or consequences that they don't properly manage stormwater runoff. Um, so that's what, MS, just to clarify what MSF4, MS4 would be for, if they are going to run, if they're not going to trap it on site in like a basin, okay. and they have to utilize existing city system, that's when you're going to want an MS4, MS4 permit. So it wouldn't apply to every case, but in those instances where they're going to actually move the runoff offsite and into the city system, then I would I would hope we have some process for that. It, what I can tell you is that from from tonight, from the conversation, uh, what I can do is I can have conversation with city staff about how we whether we have the MS4 permit in place or not under our regulations. Uh, what would be typically applicable to an operation like this under the city regulations. Uh, and then to, I guess to put some context in that, so long as we're limited in what we can do in a sense that if, if it's not required at the state level, we can't make illegal anything that the state makes legal. Right. So if, if they've granted a permit for the operation of this site and, and, and it doesn't incorporate stormwater runoff, we can't shut down their operation necessarily, right? because of that. And yet, I, I do think there is still room for uh, applying standards such as stormwater runoff requirements. So it, it's finding that gray area and how far we can push and how we can put it in place. But I, I wanted to give that context that there is quite a bit of pressure down on us from the state level limiting what we can do. Uh, but I, I'll commit to having conversations about that 
specifically the drainage issues and how that would apply. Are there any further comments from staff tonight? Or? Yeah. So I think to Mr. Anderley's point there, it would still fall under the purview of the proposed text amendments to those provisions dealing with temporary concrete batch plants or whatever type of material would come from the plant. But I think what we're seeing right now is that we don't have any rules or regulations that directly require that type of permit, but it will be implied through some of the language that's already there existing and what has been proposed by Mr. Anderley. Okay, no, that's that's fine, Jason. That can definitely be the answer. It, uh, a conversation for a later day about the runoff part. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and for, for context purposes, According to TCEQ, for a temporary concrete batch plant, they can be run on site for, I think it's 180 days or until the project is complete. I think that's how they define it. So for everybody up here, that's, that is the definition of a temporary batch or temporary plant and how, how long it can stay somewhere. A little bit open-ended there, right? Yes. To have a day period and then say, or completion of a project, but... But that's, oh. that's how it's stated. Okay. That's right. So. I, I can't add a ton of context other than that appears to be the intention of the temporary, the batch planet in most circumstances is that it's able to be brought in for the completion of a particular project, at which time it, it wouldn't continue to operate once it was completed. Um, that, that's kind of all I can add to that consideration. I mean, the only other comment, I, I think us notifying those around the area is an absolute must. I think if you read through some of the permitting, they're not really required to do that from TAC regulations when they when somebody files for the permit with the state. So I really like the idea that we're going to notify once we get wind that this is going to happen. So, And that's not required? That's just something that the city is just doing above and beyond? Yeah, that's correct. When it comes to the, the, a more permanent siting of a, a site, an operation like this would require more uh, public notice to be given, more specific public notice. I guess that's effective to be oh. given. Uh, but certainly when there's a standard permit being sought out, there's not a lot of notice, if any, right. that's okay. required at the state level. So. That, the one notice that is required, they're required to, to notify the representative for the area that where it's being located as well as the city. Uh, so there is a, a notice coming down to the, the representatives, government representatives, oh. but not to the public. Got it. I think you know why. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, those are my questions. Any additional questions or comments regarding this agenda item? Okay. So, so I'm clear. Basically, what we're doing is just once the state approves it, all we can do is just notify people. In large part, yes, we we can take the role of of reviewing, mm -hmm. um, and and we're certainly given the one way we are given authority is to take a uh, inspection type, you know, confirming that they're following the rules role. Mm -hmm. uh, but we we can't we can't, can't restrict take, in any way. Excuse me. You can't restrict in any way what they've already received the permit for. Essentially, nothing more strict than what the state applies on them. That's correct. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. 
you have a motion on this item? I move to approve. Second. We have a motion by Commissioner Shaw and a second by Commissioner Moses. Please cast your votes. Agenda item passes 6-0 with one absence. Summary of City Council actions. City staff. All right. So um, we have had, we had our last uh, City Council meeting in November. And during that, that hearing, we did discuss uh, the Riverbend Village project. Uh, that project was the uh, senior living project that was over on the northeast corner of, um, not Cooper, it's 157 and Turner Warnell. Uh, that project was recommended for denial, correct? Okay, all right. Um, Somerset Village's final reading, that was for the uh, SOMA-based zoning uh, they're um, associated with the Somerset or adjacent to the Somerset development at the intersection of 360 and uh, 287. Uh, that case was passed. Uh, the final reading for Knott's Landing at Legacy. Uh, this was the mixed uh, residential project for both attached and detached product. Um, that case had its second hearing and was recommended for approval. Uh, the neighborhood design standards uh, at its first reading it was asked to be tabled for further consideration uh, that case will be back up for consideration uh, on monday with a um, work session uh, ahead of that and finally adjacent to the um, data center property that we just had a a hearing on today uh, the final reading for this uh, city-owned stadium property uh, East of 360 um, was approved uh, during its final reading. Uh, that's a summary of the city council actions. Um, that's all I have. Thank you, sir. Any questions on those announcements? Okay, we have commission announcements. Commissioner Thompson. I wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Vice Chairman Axon. Uh, I wish you all the same. I would also like to congratulate the city on a very successful event Friday uh, for the tree lighting. And um, it was a great time. The weather was great. The drone show was fantastic. Um, and there were lots of people in downtown. Lots of happy businesses in downtown. So mm -hmm. I was very pleased with that. And same for, for uh, what was it, Thursday night for the uh, Toys for Tots event over at the uh, Performing Arts Center. Um, that was also another successful event. So we're off to a great start for the holiday season. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Bennett. Commissioner Shaw. Commissioner Moses.
And I would like to say Merry Christmas to everyone as well. A big thank you to our city staff for all the hard work that you put in and all that you do to make sure that we have some sense of understanding as to what we're doing up here. We really appreciate that and we appreciate your guidance. I certainly hope you enjoy time with your families over the holidays. Jason, be safe in your traveling. I'm sure you'll be heading east. So have a good time there. And then to the commissioners, thank you so much for your volunteerism. Uh, you know, we all don't get paid to be up here, but you take time out to do this, and we certainly want to thank you for that. Our attorney for keeping us in check as well. Just thank you all for all that you do, and I hope everybody has a great Christmas. Staff announcements. Mr. Chair, on the safe travels, I'll be sure to drop plenty of Georgia leaflets in Tuscaloosa <laughs> on my way east. Thank you for all that you all do for the community, and thank you all for all that you do to support staff. We're greatly appreciative of that. We're greatly appreciative for each and every one of you. And it goes without saying of wishing you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And our next two meetings will be on January 2nd, 2024, and on Tuesday, January 16th. 2024, and that's because of the New Year's holiday and the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. So look forward to seeing you all then and there, and of course, if we see you before then, we're happy to see you then as well. Thank you all again. Merry Christmas. Thank you, sir. I'd like to just yes, add just a little bit more. Uh, Jason already touched on the changes to our holiday schedule. Uh, staff has talked about putting together a commissioner calendar uh, this this year so that we can have those dates in a very upfront spot for everybody yes. to see. Uh, one thing that will that we're waiting on though is we know that there are always changes around the spring break holiday as well. We're trying to make sure to accommodate for all of those items. Uh, anytime we're looking at a holiday that falls on a Monday where we would normally meet as we're doing in January, we're going to meet on the Tuesday. Uh, that's just going to be the easiest thing for us to keep everybody uh, well informed on that. With that said, and I do want to let everybody leave because this has been a very short meeting today, uh, I do also want to state that with that calendar, uh, Jason and I have spoken about putting together a training calendar as well. Uh, we'd like to make sure that we can get access to as many training classes for our commission as we can. And so we'll be including that in an email. So look, look for that at the beginning of the year. We're really waiting on council's uh, approval of the rest of their dates so that we can make sure that we can get you all a good calendar uh, together. Excellent. Thank you so much. Can I get a motion to adjourn? By Commissioner Shaw, second? Second. Second by Commissioner Moses. Please cast your votes. Time to go home, 9.44 p.m. We are now adjourned. Thank you all very much.